And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I don't think there's much need for an introduction, but just in case we do have a bunch of new listeners for this um, third installment of Man Crush Mondays at Home. Um, I'm African as Joe. I'm Mahalom Rome. And I am your padre, Father Pete, your neighborhood dad. <laughs> um, and this is Man Crush Mondays podcast. We are uh, missing our brother Carl. Um, hopefully he'll be joining us a little bit later, but um, it's hard to really tell what the situation is with that. But um, <laughs> we are actually recording this podcast episode and potentially going to release it a lot earlier than normally expected due to the current state of the country and the culture and just race relations as a whole, right? Um, last, well, the episode that we released this week, which was recorded last week, we um, briefly went over the happenings with George Floyd as they were being un, 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 revealed, I guess, on a larger stage, right? We didn't have but so much information. But since last Tuesday, when that took place, that, that recording took place, to now, it was 15 hours old when, when we recorded. Right. It was, it, was, it was really, really fresh. And all we knew that there was a, a, an injustice and that the police used um, excessive force with the gentleman. And he may or may not have been dead. I don't even know if we knew he, if he was dead yet. But since then, things have exploded. And even though this is not the first time that a Black life has been taken um, at the hands of our local law enforcement, um, the people that we pay to actually protect us. But this is hitting home harder than ever. I, I don't know if it has something to do with the frustration from us being stuck in a house for 90 days before that, mm-hmm. um, along with the, the anxiety of COVID, along with, with a lot of us creatives and like people that are deemed non-essential, um, either being furloughed from work or not not having clientele or not being able to like participate in our day-to-day business but um yeah man uh things things happened and now it's like it's like the country's under siege um it's really looking like uh a revolution unlike anything that we've ever seen before right um i'm 33 years old in our time yeah yeah in our time i'm 33 years old and i don't think i've ever seen um people looting in the streets. And when I say looting, I'm not talking about like the cute little brick, a couple glass windows. Nah, fam. They, they're ravaging entire shopping districts and they're, they're taking no prisoners. So that's yeah. the majority of what we focus on this episode. Gentlemen, chime in, please. The, the LA riots were similar to this, but it was a very isolated event. Um, I feel like this has been a boiling pot that has been going on for pretty much all of our lives. Um, I remember being, I think, 11 years old and seeing some of the footage of the Rodney King and, you know, the rebellion in the city. Um, but it wasn't to this national scale, um, along right. with the racism that's been going on for far too long. Um, and now we have more evidence of it because of cell phone cameras, you know, obviously proven things that we had already known. Um, people are under the thumb from 40 million people not having jobs and you could get sick at a whim if you're not wearing a mask and you just simply have more time to sit at home and process and be mad because you're already angry and it just added another thing to the already um, 
boiling pot, which had it just bubble over at this point. Yeah, this is, um, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen, especially just hearing it now, just hearing it every day, hearing the helicopters, seeing the helicopters. I'm in LA, seeing it, like seeing it outside my window hovering. There's one right now as I'm looking out. It's just been hovering around the city all day. And um, people are mad. I don't know why this was way different. I'm thinking because, you know, it was caught on video um, because we, you know, right before this, we had Brianna. And that was, yeah. that was a major thing. But, but that didn't, that happened. We were mad, but it, de- it definitely didn't pick up as like it should have. And I feel like it really should have happened then. Before, well, for some reason, it was more gruesome, this thing with George, because we saw... Yeah, no, no, and I think, yeah, from how had, it started with Brianna, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like we got the oh the police cams and this is what happened and we don't and we literally they made sure they played the whole thing of him being alive, yeah, to him being all the way dead, and them saying oh they took him to the hospital he was unconscious at first now nah, he was dead away he died under his knee and it was an additional five minutes of pressure, yeah. so it was it, it it just hit different it just hit yeah. different, yeah, um. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely hit different. And now we're in our, what, seventh, eighth day of um, protests. And um, it's really, today seems like it's going to, it's, it's the, like the, the presence is really going to be heavy on the, on the police side, on the National Guard side, which is um, kind of concerning because, you know, we have like Trump, you know, making these statements yesterday at the White House and basically not really acknowledging what's happening. And, and I'm just like kind of worried. I'm kind of figure out, I don't know what's going to happen in these next few days, but um, hopefully, I don't know. I, just, I, I don't know at, at this point. Carl and is in here right now. Is Carl here? Yeah. Yo. Carl, welcome, welcome. Yaga yao. Yeah, man. So we just, we just um, started, <laughs> we just started the, the episode. We were speaking about um, how we briefly went over George Floyd um, when there wasn't but so much information out last week, but from last week when we recorded the episode that released yesterday to now, how things have completely exploded in the world around us um, and all of the potential things that could have caused it. Um, I can say personally, I protested um, last Friday and today, um, which is kind of part of the reason for the late start. Um, I felt the need to go out, right? Um, not just a document, but to make sure that my voice was heard because it strengthened numbers. And I feel like outside of the looting and the rioting that, that's taking place in it, from a specific set of people, Pete, why do you look like, uh, uh, um, thank you. You look like you I don't have on. control. You already know, like, I have a whole lot I've set at my house. Like, I'm, I'm just adapting right now. There's a lamp behind me now, and I'm like, Making all of the photography mistakes right now. Go ahead. My bad. Okay. But um, yeah. So from what I saw with the um with the protesting Friday especially was that people were outside. We were walking, minding our business, and we watched the cops set up barricades along the street. Not barricades. Um, you know the motor scooters, kind of like the rebels. Mm-hmm. They set their motor scooters up across, like along the street so that protesters couldn't get around. So pro- the protesters being peaceful walked around on the sidewalk. And every block or two, the police would speed the scooters around, 
and they would barricade even further and further and further and further and further until it hit a point where the police like motorbikes were from one store on the left side of the street all the way to another store on the right side of the street. And I watched people get arrested for touching someone's like one of the police vehicles, like full on force. And a lot like since the the, the start of these protests, there have been a lot of arrests unjustly and a lot of unnecessary mm. violence and provoked violence against protesters and everyone else and like a lot of people in the situation. I'm not saying that everyone involved is completely innocent, but there's been a lot of ridiculous behavior. And um, Rome, I think he's been like doing a really good job on the social media with donating to and like making it clear which specific funds you can donate to to help alleviate people's like financial burdens if they're arrested. So Rome, do you mind speaking about like the funds and organizations and the causes that our listeners could potentially donate to? So assist people. I don't have the list the right now. I don't have the list right now, but I will have it on my um, on my on my page and the links. I'm gonna compile them and put it into a basically on a link on there, so you can go in there and click the links. I, right now, I have a link to donate um, to a to a to a fund where they take your funds and they disperse it evenly across uh, multiple cities, so that each each city gets a, a couple take. I think Drake the um, Drake. And a few others donated to the same one. Drake donated like a um, hundred thousand dollars, and um, a few other people. So like they take those funds and they kind of evenly distribute to, um, to each person. There's a there's a whole lot of um, there's a whole lot of like uh, of resources out there, and um, it's not hard to find, especially on Twitter. Twitter is very, Twitter is to me is like the best way to go about getting information. Getting and giving. Only, it's a great yeah, way to getting get and giving. Yeah, because, you know, we have, like, the active links that we can click immediately. It's not just, like, a photo. You know, Instagram is just really visual. A lot of people, they put mm -hmm. photos, but it's like, you can't really click into that photo. You can't do links unless you have a certain thing. You could do swipe ups. Some, some people could do swipe ups. 10,000 and better, right? Um, but, yeah, it's like, I think the I've, I've seen way more information, way more, um, way more help on Twitter, and especially because this is very instant. Um, especially with the images and the videos and the, everything's coming in constantly, which is kind of triggering because I, I, I had to catch myself like the other day. Um, I had to literally tell myself I cannot go on. Right. Because I was just like, just getting so mad, just getting so mad. Wow. But um, I, and I'm stupid because I didn't go on, but then I ended up watching like the Jeff Epstein and then the Russell Simmons doc. Like, I'm just like, I don't know what's happening, but it's like, I'm, it's really out of control. But yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, we have to really get to the point where it's like, I'm trying to get to the to balance where I'm like, I'm watching the news, but also staying away from it so I can keep my peace of mind. But um, right. yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Carl? Um, I don't know. I, uh, I went through probably the most um, complex set of emotions in the last week or so. Not that I haven't felt anger, not that I haven't felt the touch of helplessness, not that I haven't wanted to cry at watching one of my own get killed, like less than an animal in the street. Yeah. You know how this country feels about animals and pets. Um, but I hadn't had it, I hadn't had it all be so simultaneous. Sorry, y'all. Like, those alerts. Yeah, 
um, I hadn't I hadn't had them like simultaneously hit me at, at once. Like there was a moment, it, it depended on the minute, not even like the hour, it depended on the minute. I'd go from, I wanna light this bitch on fire. I want vengeance. I don't give a fuck if I know cops. I, I like it was to the point that like I wanted revenge for the amount of times that this has gone unchecked, for the amount of times that a mother had to bury her son, and there's no cop held accountable for it. Um, and then I go into moments of of just like straight up bawling because, you know, just from the degrees of how we were we were placed in slavery, like these are these are literally relatives we don't know. You know what I mean? Like George Floyd literally could be one of our cousins and we don't know just because we spread out all over the place. So literally that is our own kind being murdered. I, when I see him, I, I think of my my older cousin, like that's big and was always intimidating when they come on the scene and see him because he's over six feet. And you could see him almost cowering to kind of like be less intimidating. Like, yes, sir. That's like, he already knows what his size is. He deals with it all the time. That's the most accommodating you can be to an officer that is in the process of arresting you for something that you didn't do. Mm. So to watch, to watch his life, to watch him scream for his mom, which you know we all know what that like. You get to the level of where you're screaming out for your mom as a black man. I mean, especially when his mom died a year before or something like that, right? Dude, it's like yeah, day. yeah. So yeah. it it I I I've never been flooded with so many emotions at once. Like, and I was having you know, full disclosure. I have you know I have a lot of friends that are white, and some of them were reaching out to me to you know, I, I get it, I get it, I I get to a point what white guilt is. Um, I. I would never want that because we're we're from the we're from the perspective of the people who are who are being oppressed, right? But to I guess the the hard part is coming to terms with the fact that you are from the DNA of people that enslaved a whole group of people and forced them to build the country, and then discarded them to the side and like figure it out. But we can't. I I can't tell you what to do. Like I was getting questions like, what can we like? No, those are your people. Like as a community, we can check each other. Like if we got a, young, a bunch of young black kids acting crazy in the neighborhood, we as a collective can go check and pull them aside. Like, come on, what are y'all doing? Like we can do right. that with our own. We can't control people who have an inferiority complex oppressing another group of people because they're afraid of one, our retaliation because they know it's old. They know it's old. Like they know it's old. We have the receipt, right? So they're afraid of the retaliation because if we get any sort of power that is on par, yeah, we could we could enforce some shit. There's a guilt of, oh well, no, we, we weren't the ones that did it. It's, it's it was it was years ago. Well, you're you're still reaping the benefit of it, and you know what's happening. You know what's happening. There's no reason that seeing this murder should have made you any less enraged than Trayvon Martin. None whatsoever. Cause that the idea of somebody sending their son—that's my biggest fear. I don't have kids yet. I think that's the that's the part that made me cry the most. Was like, as a black male, the idea of having your child 
and not being able to protect them. You can give them every single degree of how to approach the cops, how to uh, de-escalate the situation. But if that cop has a chip on their shoulder, your child might not make it home. And that helplessness is, is I've spoke to parents, like friends of mine that have kids and they got emotional. They're like, yo, I taught my son to do exactly what he was doing. Yes, sir. He, 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 didn't, he didn't resist, he didn't fight back. He, he said, I told my son to do exactly those things so that you can make it home. And then I watched a grown man do exactly the same thing I told my son and they took his life. So there's that, that, that form of helplessness. Of course we're gonna riot. I may not riot, but you, you gotta reach to a point where you're like, yo, you lied to us. You said there was a sliver of a line we could walk on where y'all won't mess with us become a, a, a product, a productive part of society, go to school, get a degree, get a job, you know, walk that line. But what happens? You get your degree, you're constantly checked on whether or not you're worthy. You try to, uh, uh, um, to progress in this place. If you buy a, a nice house in the neighborhood, you're constantly checked on why you live in this neighborhood. If you buy a nice car, you're constantly checked on having the car. It's like, it never pans out to what the agreement was, which is what society is. Society is an agreement. Like we agree upon working within a confine. Like, like, okay, you do right, you live a certain way, you won't be fucked up with the cops, you'll be allowed to do certain things. We're not even asking for what we're actually owed. We're not even asking for that. We're literally asking not to be fucked with. The bare minimum. And that's and so I think that's, that I think that that's I think that that's part of the problem, right? that there's an expectation for us to ask for what we're owed. You get what I'm saying? Like, um, does a white person have to ask for respect when they walk into their, uh, a building that they don't live in? Do they have to, uh, are, they, are they often pressed and asked, who are you here for? No. Right? Like, even throughout the midst of this, there's still been issues with Karens the world around that are air quotes air quotes let people know what karens are karens the world around that are stepping out of their respective space and into our close quarters to try to manage and police our presence and our and our rights to be in specific spaces or to participate in specific um actions or activities right we can talk about uh, barbecue Becky. We can talk about the lady that called the police on the little girl selling water. We can talk about Karen from Central Park that was bothering the bird watcher. There was a video I watched today of a lady that stood in front of this guy's Camaro as he as he drove into the parking lot of the Mercedes Benz um the Mercedes Benz dealership. And I think once he realized that they were closed, he tried to drive out of the parking lot. And this lady goes, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be in this neighborhood. And puts her hands on the hood of his car. And every time he tries to back up so he can leave, she's stepping up and moving forward. Let me, we, as soon as you're done, I'm going to chime in about that. As soon as you're done. Like, we are currently living through a point in history where history is known by most. And present day, because of the, the rhetoric and the hatred that's being spewed and promoted by the current leader of the free world, the president of the United States, people think it's okay to try to rehash or, or try to reestablish that level of control 
in terms of race relations and power. They're trying to adjust the power struggle to make people feel as if, to make people of color feel as if they're less than. And that's not it, Jack. Like, it's, 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 it's very, it's very, for lack of better words, it's fucked up, right? Because if, as a black man or a black woman, if you're minding your business, walking through the park or driving into a parking lot to maybe even adjust your, to adjust your seatbelt or to grab a bottle of water that may have fallen by your fucking, your, 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 your driving pedals. You pull in and somebody feels that they are obligated to try to police your activities. Mind your fucking business. Because if we react, then we're wrong. There's no winning. Pete, you um, can go ahead. So here's what I see, right? When you were a child and you held your hand over the stove, what would happen over a burning stove? What would potentially happen to you? When you get burned. You would get burned, right? Mm -hmm. Here's why they all feel like, and y'all heard me touch on this last week, that they could do what they can do. And I don't want to go too far into the tangent because we still got much more to chat about. And, and this, this, this insertion of consequence is going to be something I'm going to keep pointing to throughout the day because this is all I can think about on why they continue what they do. They feel like they could do it because they don't suffer consequences. Now, we always have to just waking up. You got to say your prayers and hope that you return home the next day. They don't have those worries. They never do. If I'm homeboy in the Camaro, right? She's in the dealership. She's behind my car while I'm backing up. After she does it the first time, I'm holding my cell phone camera up. I'm running this bitch to fuck over. Now, I talked about it today with my wife and I said, the reason why CEO John on the Long Island Railroad feels like he could come from Suffolk County and take a, an hour and 15 minute long commute, hour and a half long commute from his large home in Spionk in a MAGA hat and just sit there and just be like, what? It's whatever, right? Knowing that the MAGA hat is a symbol of racism, he could skip the hat, but I'm not skipping the hat because I don't have consequences. And I don't want to be the guy that's like, yo, we got to be violent, but I don't see any other answer. I don't agree with the looting. Right? Yeah. But if CEO John gets punched in his fucking face on Monday on the train, by the time Thursday comes and he keeps getting punched in his fucking face, he's probably gonna say, damn, maybe I should probably take this fucking hat off. Well, what's the because long wearing this hat for other people? Huh? It's I understand, I understand, be, no, I understand, your, joke. No, I understand your I understand your frustration, but but not even as, frustration. As, no, 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 we suffer consequences people, for standing there peacefully. It's a so fact, what do I have bro, to lose to punch him in his fucking people, face? Bro, but as a people, what happens now is when he goes to file the police report, they ask him to describe you, but you bust him in his shit so hard that he's not even remembering your face. He's going to give a general description. Now, so, you might have bust him in his shit. The cops but called on us for bird watching. That's what I'm saying. Right. It's unavoidable Man. anyway. It's not, though. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not, not saying go do bro. this, but they have to get to a point somehow, somehow. Maybe, maybe violence may not be the way. Maybe, okay, let's not check them like that. But until they see some kind of consequence, 
they're not going to change anything. The looting from last night, and I know we're going to get into it, so I'm just going to say this one thing, and I'm going to back off so we can get into the topic of it. They was on Fordham Road. Absolutely. Right. That does nothing but affect black and brown jobs. Because I know every time I went over there, Dr. J's, there wasn't white people working in there. There wasn't white people shopping in there. Yeah, they the love the hip-hop culture, J's but they're not a, white, though. Huh? Right, but right, and right, and the owner of Dr. J's could definitely be white, right? So we we we, we affect him. But at the end of the day, insurance claim he's gonna get his money back. We're not going out to the Hamptons and riding and burning up these fucking yachts. Because the minute you burn up their yachts and their mansions, because we live, America is based on possession culture. We are taught to be infatuated and love possessions. And just as much as they try to say that we're ghetto, they love their possessions too. You go to the marina on Southampton and burn up a hundred fucking boats. I guarantee you're going to start to see some change because they don't want their shit to be fucked with. That's what it is. They're going to watch you burn down your hood. Fordham Road is, is being burned down. Soho, they being, they being, they're looting and they're doing all this shit down there. They're going to fix Soho. They're not fixing Fordham Road. Not until they own everything. And that's how the gentrification starts. It's a long play. Right. You did mention that last week as well. Well, yeah, I mean, that's 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 no different than what, I mean, the, the stuff that was happening in the Bronx years ago with the burning of the buildings. I mean, everybody yeah. like the insurance money. and what In the happened. 70s. Yeah, and they let they let it burn down. They let us hold it for a minute. they like, y'all do what y'all do with that. And they just... So happen. crack on it, make a little money. But as soon as it's time... Because, you know, obviously, I mean, we can't bring that stuff into the country. So, like, that was all, I mean... Let's we we can get into the um Iran Contra stuff and yeah. all of the north like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we can get into all of that, but like how all of those things played into the system that was necessary for them to allow those neighborhoods to go to shit, so that they could sell the crack and bring it in and make the money, so that they can buy the weapons to do the trades and exchanges for everything that 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 this country. I mean, again, still raping off of black bodies because that's that's who that's who they allowed to get strung out on this stuff and then put the war on drugs. So, it, I mean, the, the the main thing is, in my confusion sometimes with, um, with all of it is like, it's not gonna, it is, there's no way to put rationality in, in, in how the result of, of, of the outrage is gonna, is gonna happen because, you know, I've, I've been using the, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to use the, I, the analogy of someone who's being raped because I think that that's the only, that's the only state in which I think everybody across the board can look at a victim as the victim. It's very rare that you hear somebody in a room that's callous. It's like the victim did this to entice the situation. But to ask for the 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 oppressor, the oppressed to find the solution is no different than trying to tell a person that got raped, like, yo, how could you have avoided this? How could you have gotten this person to not be like, like that's not on us. We're literally trying to fit within the confines of your issues. Your issues are, you don't want us in your neighborhood, cool. You don't want us to move up in your company, cool. You don't want us to have ownership of this, cool. You don't want us in your school. Like we literally are trying to fit within the confines but you don't even know what you want because you still want our culture. You still want our cool factor. You still want us to infuse everything from our flavors to Southern cooking, Southern cooking. Like you don't even know what you want, but we have to wait for you to figure it out. It's not on us. And I don't even want the illusion of 
we're the ones to figure it out. No, we've we've tried to walk around every single eggshell possible. And then when you see what's happening to us because of the system, which you know, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take the whole like I didn't understand that it was racism. I mean, learn. I have white friends who literally are like, listen, I know I don't know everything. There's nothing wrong with admitting you don't know. But if you ask anyone, like every single one of us, I'm I'm absolutely certain has had a situation where we've been pulled over by the cops multiple times and have dealt with it. The fact that that is something that we can't escape. Like I was trying to think in my mind, like how many of my black friends have never been pulled over by a cop, never had one of those situations. And I know tons of my white friends who've never, they don't even know what that is. Right. Like it's a, it's, a, it's a fucked up rite of passage that yeah. you could be pulled over for something. Roam your fitted hat. You, you look suspicious. You got a hood even, on. Yeah, even Anything. just like driving. Like I've only got pulled over maybe once or twice, but every time I drive or every time I'm in the street, I'm shook. I'm like, especially when I'm back in Harlem, if I see a DT driving around, if I see a marked car driving around, I'm expecting, or I, I'm in the back of my head, I'm expecting them to jump out on me. And that's been all my life, like all my life. And I've, and I've been, I've never been like a street dude, like, like a hood, a hood ass dude. But I know that the possibility for me being where I'm at to be, for me being black, there's a possibility that they might just jump out on me for no reason. And that happened to me before plenty of time when I was in junior high school, high school, even as a man, just like literally just, just shook. I'm shook all the time to the point where I'm like, maybe I won't go out because I don't want to get swept. I don't want to get swept up today. Or let me make sure that I have my my ID on me because if I don't, I'm going to get swept up. Just in, like you never know. Like white people can go out and do anything, and they won't have to think about a police officer running down on them. I think about no consequence. No yeah. consequence ever. Ever. Yeah, do you know that? Do you know yeah. that most people, most people in the city that are that's not of color don't know that it's illegal. Like, I'm talking about New York City. They don't know that it's illegal to walk the city without state ID. I found that out when I was 15 years old. I was arrested and held in the tombs for three days at 15 years old because I looked 16. And they held me because I didn't have state ID. That was, that was the basis of my arrest. I didn't have, have state ID because you're not even of age. Exactly. Wow. So you lost three days yes. of your life just because somebody felt like it. Mm -hmm. No consequence again. Uh, and that yeah. even because Robbie with the BMX, they're not even looking at him. Yeah, but you even even you saying that is just like you know, it's hard not to feel that anxiety when you hear the stories because you know these are our brothers and sisters. Like it's it's a known fact that being in un un um. Being in terrible conditions forces a different bond. Like when we get in the collective and we start talking about our issues, we feel it because we know like our skin puts us in a different place where we're all as vulnerable. Like it, it doesn't matter if the cops pulled up on us um, in, the in the neighborhoods where I was from, it didn't matter. They weren't trying to ask you if you went to a Catholic school, if your parents work, if your parents both live in the house, if they're, you know, they're, they're they own that, like, they don't give a shit. And it, and the, the thing that's most heartbreaking is, you know, I, one of the conversations I had with one of my managers at, at, at um, Verizon, and I don't mind saying the company because it is what it is. They, like, 
you know, um, cause we ha we're having real conversations in these companies right now. Um, it's like, he's a, is a black male with his master's degree and he's raising his son. And he's one of those guys that in, you know, in a corporate structure, it's a whole dance. Cause you got to do the song and dance. You know, you don't have to juggle this person's racist jokes that might be like, Oh, that's not cool. I should be hitting HR, but now I can't, I got to balance the nature of it. And he's like, you know, I, I went under the guise that all I had to do was push through, get my son to go to school, let my son get the degree. I tell him how to navigate. And all of it is to fit within a structure that has countless time after time, let us know we're not welcome. They don't even care that we're around. So it's almost like you're selling us, you're selling us a pipe dream. And I think the shattering is what you're seeing. It's like, wait, we knew, we knew, we knew that it didn't matter how nice you are to a cop, how respectful you were to a cop. If that cop has a chip on his shoulder, because either what you're driving, you could have your girlfriend who are in the car, he feels a certain way, he's going through a divorce. It becomes a, a place for them to take out the issues in life with excessive force. Uh, I don't know if you saw the, I mean, I saw the video a long time ago, the guy, I think I put in the thing, the guy yelling, literally yelling at the cop, like, yo, you st for a traffic stop, you came to me with your guns drawn. Right. You came to me, your guns drawn. He was like, I have, like, he was furious. I have three kids. Don't you want to go home to your kids? You're going to come to me for a traffic stop. I'm, I'm not, there's nothing illegal about me. I have my, my paperwork. The car is not stolen. But you came to my door with your gun drawn for a traffic stop? That that frustration, him yelling at the cop, the cop couldn't even say anything. Cause it, it's it's like you would put my life in jeopardy. I have my entire family to take care of. Mm -hmm. Five minutes to you. Five minutes to you, you're gonna lose you're gonna uh, take my life and be like, oops, get put on like maybe like a 30-day suspension or something, and go right back to being on the street. Imbalance is shit. But the big that problem is that we expect the, the we expect the police to consider our lives. I don't think I, I don't think that I consider it. I, I don't, they don't, they're not considering yeah, our lives. I think we try to avoid, I think we just try to avoid them at all costs. I don't think yes. we, I don't think we, I don't, I don't know that anybody expect, there was a thing with the woman trying to wave down the cops in, in, in LA. They were trying to wave down the cops because somebody right. broke the liquor store and these yeah, are black people waving them down. And then the cops ran down on them and started putting cuffs on them. They're like, and the newswoman who's white is like, yelling at them like, no, that's their place. Right. And they didn't want to hear yeah. anything from her. So we don't, I, no, we don't call the cops. We, I don't know anybody that calls the cops for our issue. Yeah, you know? we'll go through every other, yeah. and, and it's a last, last resort. resort. Absolutely last, absolutely last. last. Resort situation. But do you know, do you know why the cops are so gung-ho with the guns and killing is easy? I'm gonna go back to that word again. No consequences, because if there was a sweeping federal law, then when you have an accidental murder, you get charged with the murder, kind of like when you're watching First 48 and a dude gets killed and the friend was just standing there, he saw it, he gets the whole body. If they were getting blanket, oh, you killed, you killed George? 25 years minimum off the rip. They would stop that shit. Absolutely. Yeah. But they're not having consequences. Uh, so, so consequences, and this is a conversation I have with Rave, Um Let's just think, right? How much of an effect would it have if after every officer involved shooting, 
of a civilian that the officer had to turn in his gun, had to turn in his badge, and he was put into a privatized holding cell until it was proven without question of a doubt that his actions were just. That's what they do to us. It, that's a consequence. Right. They, what they, they, they is, wouldn't do it. Yeah. What I'm saying is, if that was in effect, they would think three Even times before they pull their weapon. Right. Their Even weapon. that much. I agree. And that's a privatized cell where their lives may not be put in danger. But imagine if they had to put them in an actual in Rikers. minimal in, security. In pop. Right. Yeah, that's it's that's gonna whew, getting getting that, getting them to do that is gonna be like I don't know. It's it like that's because you know they everything everything that they do is gonna they're gonna seem like it's justified and they're getting white people mm-hmm. to even pass those type of situations because white people will have to pass that shit at the end of the day. Um unless we have complete control of everything, that shit is gonna be like they're not trying to hear that shit. And that's and but that's what we need. We definitely need that, but I don't know. I think I think we might need um I think we might need to have the guests come in today. We got some guests for y'all today. I don't know if I'm supposed to announce that, but I'm just looking at the no, chat. No, we do. We are, do. We have two very we have two very um, some... we have two very uh well spoken and well versed guests for this evening. Um well spoken. Yeah, well spoken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's... We have, so I think we'll start with Atira, Miss Atira Charles. Um, she'll be joining us uh, as a part of the conversation. Hey, everybody. Hey, how you doing? Hey. Good. <laughs> so we're, 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 we brought Atira in to talk with us about being black at work during this time of um, high stress and high um, tension. Also, oh, along with having to self heal all while being still responsible for your work, your workload. Um, Tara, t- uh, why don't you give us just a, a brief introduction into who you are and what you do and yeah. Okay, hey, so um, I'm Dr. Tara Charles. I have my PhD in organizational behavior, which is basically like the psychology side of business and organizations. And I study issues related to diversity and inclusion at work. And I do consulting in that area. So basically I go into companies, tell them how to get it right. And then I also provide a lot of solutions and strategies for people of color, women, whoever's a stereotype group within corporations, right? So how how can organizations get right? And how can people navigate the waters, right, of work? And with everything that we're, that's going on in the world right now, what has been the most difficult thing, like this week has been hard, one, just being black and a woman and a mother and all these other things, right? But then my whole day is filled with doing that work as my profession and my living too. And the mm. biggest thing that I'm hearing from corporate clients that are executives all the way down to friends that just work in the corporate space is that there's this issue of sorting out if people are genuine or not. Right, so it's almost become like cool and a fad to put out a statement, to put out a Instagram post. But these are companies that we, those of us that do this work, historically have never had a voice related to anything diversity related. And now all of a sudden these perfectly crafted human rights, social justice, you know, 
essays are being written by executives. Now, someone could say, well, dang, so someone can't change, someone can't have awareness, someone can't figure it out. Anyone can start, but these are also the same companies that don't have black executives in their leadership that have low numbers of black employees, period, that have their biggest, they could say they're 5% black, but most of them sit in the blue collar jobs, you know? And so their retention of black talent is down and low. They can't keep a black body in a leadership role because they're ousted out or the pressure just becomes too much or the mask they're wearing, the load becomes so heavy that they just tap out. And right now what's happening is everybody is going through what we're all going through and people are feeling on the edge with tapping out at work. And that's a different type of thing, right? Because if there's anything we've learned and, you know, I always say this, like those of us that come from a slave descendant history, we learn like go to, go to work, be happy for the job you have, be grateful, Mm -hmm. you know, keep your head down, focus, don't get in the mix of stuff, get your check move on, go home. But what we're seeing now is like that, that narrative that is cross generations is not working. <laughs> it's not working anymore. And I think it's not working because we have new education and we feel like our risks are a little bit lower, right? So in theory, our grandmothers and grandfathers walking home from work or taking the bus home could go and get lynched at any moment, right? Then we came into this like 80s, 90s space where we felt like, oh no, we're safer. So then we were then telling our kids we're safe, we're safe. Then now it's like flipping again, like, no, no, you're not safe. And so this idea, Mm -hmm. there's a generation in between civil rights and now that really felt like we were good. And I think that's why some of us have this shock, right? That, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And so now there's a new generational outrage that's happening and people aren't willing to play the game the same way aren't willing to take the risks the same way you know you think about people that have two incomes in a household someone could be like yo like bump this i'm 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 I'm, i quit such Mm -hmm. and such could hold it down our grandparents and parents didn't have that privilege typically you know with that type of thing so i think what something that's come along with our financial freedom is i think a false emotional freedom but what's happening now is People are feeling it in their gut. Yeah. And it becomes like a health issue and it becomes a wellness issue. I did a TED talk in November, I think. And it was called Rethinking Diversity and Inclusion as a Health and Wellness Issue. And at first, you know, I was telling friends, this is what I'm gonna talk about. I was like, wait, well, Tara, why are you picking that? I said, because it's real. So, like in all the consulting I do, the coaching I do, all of that, there's one common narrative. People been like, this and this happened. And man, I just felt, I had anxiety. I was depressed. I just sit in my car looking at the office building, don't want to walk in. I get in, I put on my fake smile and I just sit. And then, so it's like, it's torment. It's like almost going into a horror show for many, right? Dealing with all of this, but we still have that narrative of, but we should be grateful. We got our education. We got our good job. We got it here. They let us, they let us in. Let me behave. And so, that, that narrative just keeps reeling for us to behave. And I think we have to start to reimagine what behaving at work means. You know what I mean? And what we're seeing now is people willing to take the stand to say how they feel, but it's only because I think white people right now are feeling more comfortable taking the stand. So this, it's almost like you fall and someone picks you up like, oh, are you okay? 
but did you really care if they were okay? And I think we're all like, do I trust? Hold on, y'all being real nice right mm-hmm. now. Yep. Right. Like, do Absolutely. I open up the trust? <laughs> yeah, like, do I open up the trust bucket for in two weeks, five weeks, three months when the pandemic and civil unrest is done, you back to your same old habits. And then mm-hmm. it becomes like trickery. And so that in itself is this thing like we're on edge of wait, should I trust? Should I not trust? And and that literally creates wellness issues. And so I think we have to start to think about how do we stay well while balancing this? Because the world's not changing right now. If anything, it's changing in the worst direction than we've ever been in, in our generation, all of us. Yeah. So it's like, how do we stay well through that? And then that becomes a self-care issue. And so we have to make sure we're not focused on, focusing so much on what do I do at work? What do I do in the world? What do I do in the streets? And also figure out like, what am I doing for self? Right. To have more of a grounded approach to how we're living and to have more of, you know, tapping into breathing techniques and tapping into how we express our energy. Because another thing that's going to wind up happening with this, especially with Corona over it, and people are going to start coping with dysfunctional ways, right? Like people are going to start picking up habits they didn't have before, or people are going to start self-soothing with things that may work in the moment, mm-hmm. but won't work not in the long solutions. Right. Right. You know, you got people drinking their woes away, smoking their woes away, sexing their woes away. It's like, but at the end of the day, that's not, that, that makes it feel better in the short term. And I think we just need to start thinking about collective care as a community and, you know, really paying attention to that because we're not right now. We're just so, we're so focused on the fury that we're not like taking some steps back, grounding and still trying to find some moments of joy or still trying to find some things that make some more positive deposits, mm-hmm. you know, in our emotional bank. And then we feel guilty about it. I had a post to make about my daughter today or yesterday, and I didn't even make it because it just felt like almost too celebratory. And I'm like, damn, we're so traumatized. We don't even feel comfortable sharing the joy. Yeah. And, and that's its own shit. Like, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you just said, sorry. So yeah. Terry, you just said, um, I wrote it down so I didn't forget it. Behaving at work, right? Mm-hmm. That we're expected to behave at work. But my question about that is the term behaving, mm-hmm. is that something that's applied to all all humans, all adult humans, or is that something that's applied more so to like children and animals? Oh, I, I don't think, think adults are expected to behave. Oh, are, I disagree. Well, yeah, no, society uh, demands that we behave. That we are we we're signing a, yeah, we're signing a, 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 a it's not written, but that's part of what you do when you're an, an asset or a part of society. It is an unwritten agreement, which is why we're revolting because you reneged on your agreement. We, we keep order. Right. We obey order based on these guidelines you told us. Okay, you do this, you do this, then we will have the police to serve and protect. They do not serve and protect us. And we've dealt with that for a very long time. But now they're killing mm-hmm. us. That's a whole different thing than not serving and protecting us. You're, you're right. You're assassinating us. So that's right. a and different thing. Exactly. And there's a term in the research called psychological contract, mm-hmm. right? Like you have a psychological contract mm-hmm. with your workplace. You have a psychological contract with your boss. There's these assumptions of how you will be and how you will exist. Mm-hmm. And I think that connects to, and that's why people are in the streets now because they're choosing not to, right? right? To the point that you were just making, like, 
people are choosing not to abide by the contract. Like the contract's broke, so boom. Right. And so to your point about children, we teach children how to self-regulate from the beginning. Right. Because you have to learn how to. And guess what? We all know adults that don't self-regulate. Mm-hmm. And there's right. consequences to that. Personal life, professional life, romantic life, all the stuff. Yeah. And so it's like at work, if there's any place we have to self-regulate more than anywhere else, it's at work because then that's connected to our livelihood. Mm-hmm. And so people get used to wearing these masks to behave. Now, there's two ways to behave. You can authentically behave and you can inauthentically behave, right? So you can behave based off of the social norms and rules of what they expect of us, or you can behave, meaning being your authentic self and just staying within the scope and the zone. But here's what we have been trained to believe is that anything we speak out about about our race or our identity isn't behaving. So there is this rule for us that has been different, right? Like our white colleagues could come into work, say, oh yeah, I got trashy drunk on Saturday at this bar crawl and it was so amazing. And people be like, oh yeah. We come in and say that and it's like, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So we get caught up in judgments related to us or even how you dress like i've been a professor for like the last nine ten years at different universities and i was on the younger end like i became a professor at 27 and there would even be older black people that would be like oh atira you just look so young you know you dress so young you and i know what they were saying basically i had stylish clothes and if i'm being honest i think that a lot of it was like oh you look attractive whereas this assumption of a professor is like an old right. you know very conservative so they're exactly so it's like wait you're young and cool you're just cool and you're cool like oh that, that doesn't match and so we get used to this like what matches and unfortunately it's historically what matches has typically been how much whiteness do you emote how much whiteness do you evoke mm-hmm. and i think people are getting to a place now i mean women are black women are just starting to feel comfortable wearing their natural hair the, the, we just there's so many risk factors we have just to wake up and exist mm-hmm. in life yeah. but at work there's a political landscape that everyone has to deal with right everyone has to abide by white people got to figure out how to handle the politics of work too but when we're assumed to be unprofessional or when we're assumed to be competent by the time we walk in the building we're walking like stigma is walking ahead of us so we could be the best thing since sliced bread but their stereotypes and biases of us are leading, right? And that's the problem, that even if we behave, they still see us like we're not. Just like if we're standing there doing nothing in the streets, the police can still just decide we're doing something. Right, right. And just to that point, the conversation y'all were having about consequences, I it's true because there's research that shows that like EEO complaints and things like that, only like one to 3% of them ever close out in favor of the person making the complaint. Why? Because the burden of proof, the burden of proof you have to create to say, nah, I know for the last five years I've been working here, she's been side-eyeing me and not inviting me to the important meetings. But how do you prove that? How do you document that to show? So a lot of the microaggressions we receive that lead to the unfair stuff it's not always going to be someone coming into your office and saying, hey, you're a nigger. I'm not going to promote you. Okay? Okay, bye. Like, it's not going to be that clear. It's going to be mm-hmm. these real subtle, this real subtle shit. And it's like, yeah, and I don't even like the term microaggression for real because they're all macro to me. Like, it's yeah. all macro. 
Yeah. 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 Because I mean, it puts us macro. Because to I mean, even that say macro. That's part of what pushed me yeah. out of my last job. Yeah. Because it's I mean, minimizing. But that's the thing. Like, I think, I think because the, like, the thing about the contract and, and, you know, it's unwritten is that it, I'm glad that you mentioned the thing about um, almost assimilating how white can you mm -hmm. be just to get a pass. And really, it's not about us wanting to be white for the sake of being white. It's for the sake of not being messed with. That is just, um, survival and oh, but something else. It's also for the sake of them feeling comfortable. Right. Oh no, it's all about that. Listen, a lot of this. That's the big. That's the biggest thing. It has nothing thing. to do with us. They don't want to. We had to be made uncomfortable. And we had that conversation. So, like, as we had a conversation in one of the past episodes about as black men. So, like, I'm in the fifth year of my therapy, and it wasn't until like peeling. I mean, there were tons of layers. Which, by all means, you can possibly think I am a functioning black male, successful career, successful side career. I'm, you know, no debt. Like, like for all those things, you would like, oh, he's doing well. But when you start peeling back the layers and you realize mm -hmm. how much of that stuff is still ticking, I just found ways to com compartmentalize it. And that's why you see when, you know, yeah. certain black professionals snap, you're like, what happened? Everything was going for him. He just found mm -hmm. ways to get around it to survive. And, and then it's this, this dance we do with our true identity and how much we did try to conform and how we got lost in that. And those things yeah. collide at a certain point. So we were mentioning the thing which I realize I'm doing and I'm still adjusting to it is that my voice is deeper than where I'm at. But over the course of my life, I started adjusting the bass in my voice when I got into a room. Yeah. Realizing, and I'm not, I'm not George Floyd tall. So maybe that's the other reason it's not even higher than it is. My way of, of adjusting was to remove the bass because my height isn't enough to like, it's mm. but it's not, it can, it can pass, but the bass in my voice. So I found myself in a certain octave and I was like, this is, when did this happen? Like, how did that happen consciously? It's crazy. Oh, and it happens young. It happens young. My daughter's 13 and I hear her work teacher voice. Like when she was having her Zooms, you know, when school, you know, came home virtual yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I was hearing her school voice like, what voice is this? Right. When did... When it's did that, this code switch It's that code switch, yeah. I was about to say, yeah. we learned, we learned and, how to code switch. Yeah, and so. Early. And we're often told we're, we're exactly. trying to talk white. Right, but see, here's, but Carl brought up a very good point. It's not even about the white. Like, if, if someone hears me speaking, I sound like a black woman, but even this voice I'm using with y'all, it's my voice. But if I wasn't speaking in a public space, my voice is way deeper. Mm -hmm. My voice has a yeah. slower, you see, I'm not even bringing it down. It has a slower pattern. Right. And right. then if we even start thinking about identity starting to combine, I remember by the time we were on three-way talking with boys on the phone in high school, dudes would be like, ah, Tamara, you got a sexy voice. That's when I started saying, oh, let me bring my voice up some so I'm not sounding like this. You, you, you get what I mean? And so that really, like, even gender did that for me at first. Then race did it. Because I don't want to be, I'm 5'9", with heels on, I'm 5'11", right, At, on a short day. And so mm -hmm. here I'm coming in with this big voice and this deep voice and this strength. And it's like, so let me bring it back. So I learned how to even use my smile mm -hmm. as a way to navigate. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm a smiley person yeah. in general, but yeah. I know when I put on 
a certain smile, a little glance of the eye. You get what I'm saying? Like there's things we all learn to do to soften people. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's really what we're talking about is softening people, but it's softening people so they're comfortable so that they don't fuck with us. Right. Which right. is also a name. So my question, <laughs> right. So my question for you now, Tara, is um, we have lots of lady listeners and even though it's a podcast geared towards men, um, how, how can you, or what kind of advice or suggestions can you make to our listeners um, to help them get through these difficult times while still having to put on a cooperative face while at work. Does that make sense? Without making No, I do. Feel, I do. Without 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 um without them feeling as if they have to hide their true emotions about what's going on, but also at the same time without them ruffling too many feathers to make others uncomfortable, if that makes sense. Or should they care so about I, making others uncomfortable at this time? Right. So I've like built my whole career talking about the mask we wear, right? So I have an audio book called The Art of Unmasking, Peeling Back the Layers to Maximize Our Professional and Personal Success, where I, where I talk, right? So that's, that's the first thing. So if you go to OurMasks.com, O-U-R-M-A-S-K-S.com, you could get the digital version and the CD if you want a physical thing. Um, but what I would suggest right now, and I've been telling people, even when I'm doing these like healing sessions with clients right now, is use the moment. Like, we're not going to get an open door like this again to let our authenticity come out where they're in a place to be compassionate. Absolutely. So while we don't know if this will last and we don't know if we can trust, this is an open door to be all of yourself. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Which could potentially stick. Hmm? Which, which could, could potentially stick. Right. Which could stick, which now means they see you different because you can't unsee somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. You can't right. unsee somebody. So now they see you and they're still trusting you. That's just human to human. Like there's certain things that aren't about race and identity. And it's just human to human. I could say, oh, I don't like people with beards, so I'm not going to talk to him. But if we sit and talk for 20 minutes, it's like, oh, sure. He's actually pretty cool. There's a theory that explains it. It's called contact hypothesis. And it shows that the more time we spend with somebody mm-hmm. and talk to them and communicate with them, the more we trust them. The more we like them, the more we're comfortable with them. And then the stereotypes we had about them go away. That's how, so Mm. I know a lot of times white folks get flat when they say, but I have a a black friend. When they just say it and it's not really a friend, then okay. But if they truly do have a black friend, that's a fair thing to say. Like we have moments where we do that with other identities. And so we have to be able to get to a place where we feel comfortable to trust the moment. I don't, I don't trust the long term right now, and I do this work, but I do trust the moment. Mm-hmm. It's a teachable Because moment. even if this, gets a, this could get a little esoteric or spiritual for a minute, but like spirit says stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Amen. And I think right now, like spirit speaking to some people and softening some hearts mm-hmm. naturally, like separate from all the race politics, all of that. And I think we need to use the moment right now while people's ears and hearts are open. Even if they don't know yeah. why they're open, or even if they're open, it's like portals, right? Like in superhero stuff, like if the portal's open for a minute, like run through. You don't know what's on the other side, but you know it's open. And so right. you have to like take the risk. And so my suggestion would be to take the risk, but then also to take the time. Mm-hmm. Take the time to be with yourself and have certain things that you do to bring yourself back to center and to right. ground yourself back. 
Um, because right now we're all hyperstimulated, right? We're all hyperstimulated. So there's things like breathing, you know, breathing techniques, meditation. Now, a lot of us run away from meditation because we don't have the, like, we don't want to sit still that long. <laughs> but even if a meditation could be just sitting in one space, focusing on one thing. A lot of times mm -hmm. people think with meditation, you have to not focus on anything. You can just focus on one thing. Something that I've been doing is I've been putting gospel music on and singing like I am in Madison Square Garden by myself. Like, mm -hmm. just singing full voice, full, because it, I've realized that it did something for me. I don't run. I ran for the first time yesterday because I had an energy that, I, that my usual stuff wasn't doing anything about. So right. running, I don't know if it was, I'm paying for it now, I feel it in my legs, but like, maybe it's the pain I needed to feel. Maybe it's that sweat that came out there, but there was some, aren't you proud of me, Pete? I ran <laughs> and I just felt like, I came back, I sat on the porch, I was like, yo, I did that. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it was just me having control over something for a minute. Mm -hmm. like I controlled uh, something and right now we can't. And so I think thinking about ways you can exert physical energy because we're getting a lot of input in. And so our nervous system right now is like rattled. It's rattled. Mm -hmm. All of our nervous systems are rattled. So how do you calm that down? Is you either have to get the energy out or you have to do things internal to bring it down. Yeah. Right. I've been and so my bike one of those things has to be done. That's been it. Yeah. Riding the bike has definitely been my, uh -huh. yeah. riding my bike has been the meditation, like getting out there and riding mm -hmm. it, you know, being out there riding eight, 10, 12 miles just to like, just feel something like, you know, have a goal. Don't worry about nothing. Don't be on, on your phone. Don't have to watch on TV and everything like that. Right. So definitely. That and, right. and then there's self-soothing techniques. Right. And the other night I had a super rough night. I think it was probably my worst night through Corona, through all of this, everything. Then I was feeling away and I'm a touchy feely person. So I like wanted a hug. I wanted this and everything I was thinking about was very physical. And my best friend was like, Hey, you need to self-soothe. Like, don't reach out externally for nothing. Like, don't try to motion eat. Don't try to, you know, drink yourself. Don't try to do this. Don't try to use physical sexual comfort. Don't try, like, don't try to do anything, but just kind of like bring yourself to center. And so what did I do? I started Googling like, okay, this princess self soothe. let me do it. And what I found was this article that had this suggestion that seemed crazy. It was like, put a cold compress on your face. So at first I read that and I was like, what that, what's that going to do? But I said, of mm -hmm. all the things, I do all the other things on this list on a regular. So I got to try something different. And I did it. And the science, of course, cause I'm a nerd. I'm like, what's the science of how this works? Cause it did work. If you put something cold on your skin, your body, your neural, your, your neural science is focused on the sensation of the cold, which does not allow you to think about all the other shit driving you crazy. Mm. So it's like tricking your body. Just like if you smile, you create certain hormones in your body because your body, you're tricking your body into thinking you're happy, right? right? So putting on something that created a physical thing to focus on, it's like almost if someone pinches you, it's like, ouch, you're focused on mm -hmm. the pinch. And so that was, I went to the dollar store. I got myself some frozen eye masks. I've been frozen eye masking myself to death. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it works. Like if you have a bag of peas tonight, I promise you do it. And y'all all message me and be like, yo, Tira, it works. And so it's things like that. Like we have to start getting to a place where we're understanding the science of our bodies better. Right. Yeah. Or else this will take us out. Like yeah, it will take us out. And we already know it's like all of us have been to the doctor say, you know, do you have high blood pressure, diabetes, blah, blah, in my family? And we all just be looking like, mm -hmm. of course we do. 
You know damn well. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you know I do, right? And so for me, I've been focusing on how I can't regulate the world, but I can regulate my body. I can't regulate the world, but I can regulate my spirit. I can't regulate the world, but I can regulate my emotions and my mindset. And that's what's been keeping me steady. But it takes intentional, deliberate effort to do it. If you don't say, I'm going to do this now, and, and it doesn't, here's the crazy part. I promise everyone listening, it doesn't take an hour to do it. If you deal with body first, you're talking 10, 15 minutes can recharge your whole battery. It can reset your whole nervous system. Right? If we trust that substances can do that, alcohol, whatever, anything else, if people feel relaxed after they have sex, if people feel good after a workout or a run, then that means we have to trust and believe that when you do certain things with your body, there's certain benefits that come. Yeah. Yeah. And in right now, that self-soothing, that grounding, that physical energy thing, we have to find a way to release that. I mean, right. in healthy. it's interesting that you said that. I mean, I feel like um, for me, therapy has been, therapy has been the, the, the almost giving myself to, to learn the tools needed to figure mm-hmm. out how to, how to self-regulate. Meditation is huge. I, I love, I mean, it's hard enough to get me out of the house to, to just do regular things. Anyway, I love finding my quiet space. I find it whether I'm at work, whether I'm home and I know how valuable it is. I try to, I try to share that with as much, especially our, our, our black men, um, how mm-hmm. important it is for us to have that because I don't know that we have a lot of spaces where we know what our internal voices sound like. And that's a big thing. And even with the five years that I've right. been in, this week was the first time where not only did I, I shut down for my quiet time in between like, what am I feeling? What is going on? I, cause I'd never been overwhelmed by that many emotions at once to the point mm-hmm. where texts coming in from friends that were checking on me and I just couldn't answer them. And it, yeah. I had to be fine with that because I just, I didn't mm-hmm. have the capacity to be like, cause now I'm, I'm worried about making sure that you are okay. And knowing that I'm okay. And then like, but I'm not okay. I'm not. Because it's burnout. Right. A burnt out. Is burnout. And honestly, if we, you know, if we take the gender conversation on this, at least women are raised to share, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're raised to share. Everyone doesn't do it well, but we are at least raised to share. Absolutely. There's comfort in that. There's no stigma in that. The fact is that black men are raised to not share, to not emote, to not cry, to be able to, to handle not everything on their own. Say, I need to not seek help. And if I'm being honest, I think black men are also incentivized to push people away when they are feeling those things. Mm-hmm. I just need them. I see it with my sons now. And I mean, here they have this like feminist, diversity and inclusion mom and all this type of stuff. And it's like, I still notice certain things that society has told him. Like my son, he gets mad and he'll just kind of storm to his room. I say, you better slow that walk down. You better lighten your feet on this floor. But if I didn't say that, he would then become an adult man that thought it was okay to just, you know, use his body to show his force as he's walking in the space. And so it takes checking that. But back to the physical wait, wait. stuff, we have to yeah, cry. I, can, can I pause you for one second on that? Right? Because yeah. we're raised to hear and not be heard, right? And again, 
circling back to consequence, right? Carl knows this, living in Mount Vernon. You're in the Metro North. Who is the loudest people on the train, especially when you come home at night, you're a little tired? It ain't us. We all have this manable way of showing our kids, okay, you got to be this way, you got to be that way, you know, mm -hmm. you know, try to be respectful of people. You know who does none of those things? Mm -hmm. Because it's not attached to risk. Yeah, there's because, no like they don't they don't see things as risky. Because they Versus don't have what a consequence. I know is it's always no, the risk is attached right. to the consequence. We know he knows not to walk down the hallway like that no more. Because if you were a Spanish grandmother, the chancleta is going to do a three sixty around the hallway to the back of his head. You understand what I'm saying? Right. And if he's at school and he's in the seventh grade and he thinks he could storm away, now that teacher could call the resource officer but how and do say we teach he's them, being aggressive. And he's how do we teach them respect and not fear? Because I'm not going to show Hudson, yo, yes, you need to respect your parents, but I don't want you second-guessing anything when someone outside of your race is telling you to do something wrong. Because that's so what they me, do. Right. So I could say, like, my mom did a really good job with me and my brothers of letting us use our voice. Mm -hmm. So, like, in Mal Malcolm Gladwell's Outlier, he talks yeah. about this, too, mm -hmm. that, like, Kids who are raised in homes where it's okay for a four-year-old to talk to the waiter or waitress in order, that are, that's okay to say something to, you know, the police officer if they're there, that it's okay to, and this is even within our race, that's something we need to internalize more. T tell a teacher, no, I disagree. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. I think we have to train our kids to use their voice. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier mm -hmm. about being your authentic self versus your not authentic self. Because there's a way to authentically behave and a way to inauthentically behave. Right? right. So I, I think, think that, teaching. Sorry. I think that in this current day and age, because a lot of us were not taught to use our voices in the proper way, a lot of the youth in this day and age, are, they know how to use their voices as weapons as opposed to using their voice as resources. Mm -hmm. Like, if you ride the train with, with high schoolers, mm -hmm. they curse a storm. So they, they, make sure that they're, they make sure that they're heard. Whether what they're saying right. is right or whether what they're saying is right. wrong, mm -hmm. it's 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 the, yep. it's the, the idea hood, of we're subdued. Right, it's the idea of having something to uh, saying what's on your mind versus not saying something unless you have something to say. Well, I mean, does that make something? Does that make sense? Yeah, but here's the issue. I mean, there's so many layers to the parenting of 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 black adults with their children. Right, we're still overcoming years of them even being able to have their children. Like their children were taken from them, so now it's like yep. I have just ended a second ago. I have to make sure that you don't do anything that would put you in a position where someone could take you from me via yes. uh, uh, child services, via police. I, so without not without being able to communicate that to your child, which is something that I think we have to learn. I'm I'm fortunate, my mother. And I, maybe that's because she was Jamaican and, and she was first, I'm first generation here. So there's certain layers of not having the American experience where she empowered me as an individual. You know, she'd take me to, it'd be the green grocer, it could be the Korean owners. I knew the Korean owners, I knew their family. The, the, uh, the shoemaker, I knew him, I knew his family. But as a child, I never felt intimidated to speak to them. My mom would encourage it. So. I never right. walked around with the fear of having the interaction with somebody that didn't look like me. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate it now because it helps me navigate in ways where I can articulate to them exactly what's happening, but I can relate to them a little bit. You know what I mean? Like there's, there, is, there is a point that we also have to understand in order to share. Like we, we almost have to figure like yeah. once I understood what yeah. white was, because I had to understand it, because I'm like, I, I need to understand what this is. What What is it that would cause you to see the coverage of a young uh, Tamir Rice gunned down and have the ability to just disregard it? Because oh, if they don't see their... Hu- but that goes back to how we see humanity, right? Right. Because you have to see someone as human to have Absolutely. empathy. Mm-hmm. And what's happening right now, and that's why I said this, there is a spirit thing happening on earth, and I believe it, because nothing has changed, but all of a sudden now there is this, this empathetic approach. Like, we've, we've been here before. Absolutely. Like, we've had people killed on camera. We've had, there's nothing new right now. Nothing new. Rodney King but, alone is, is, you could go back and watch that video again now and be like, wait, so you guys didn't get this. This you didn't get. Right. So the fact, there is no technically, and if I'm putting my social scientist hat on, there is no variable that is new in the world. No. That didn't yeah. exist last year when we had people getting shot in the street. Not at all. That explains why now there's this overflow. But guess what? Someone could also make the argument, and I'll kind of let this roll until we you know, shift to the next part of the conversation, but maybe we needed to sit down for people's hearts to soften to feel for a minute. Maybe what's yeah. happening is that those people who didn't see us and hear us before, maybe people in general in society have been backing away from what humanity means. And the fact that we've all been sitting for two to three months, detached from the world and the things uh-huh. that usually re-inter- you know, like reinforce the things that we usually care about, don't care about. It's like layers have been taken off and maybe yeah. now mm-hmm. we're just able to feel different. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's definitely you know? it. I think that's definitely it. We, we, got a, we got another guest here, so I, I guess we want to stay with that same energy. And uh, he just typed in the chat. Can you please reveal yourself, young man? Look, look at your man's, look at your man's background. Your background is so swaggy. Skate, yo, I did this for Rome, the skate key. Okay, I'm, I'm not from the Bronx. I, I'm from the Bronx. Why would you do it for Rome? Because Rome will go to the skate key and get beat up and get robbed. Anyway, go ahead, guys. <laughs> Glad to be here tonight, representing this particular billboard behind me, George Floyd's Memorial, sitting in Minneapolis. Yes. Give this That's man a round so of applause. Nice. Give this man a round of applause. So, Byron, why don't you tell us? Wear a lot of different hats. Glad to be on with you gents this evening. Been working in the education space and on social justice issues literally my entire career. And just glad to be part of the conversation uh, to add to what you all have already said and also what Dr. Atira Charles so eloquently stated the challenges we face just being black in America and living and navigating everyday life. Uh, and I, it's so interesting as you were saying that, Atira, that last piece, it's not this particular moment that is unique or special for many of us. I think for the broader public, they finally see it in a different light. But for those of us who live and walk, it's so odd. I, for the, one of the organizations I run, people kept saying, well, you need to hold space. We need to hold space so that people can have time to collect their thoughts and light. I don't hold space. I live in the space 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days of the year. You can hold space for people. I don't mm-hmm. need to folks because my brothers and sisters, <laughs> right. space that you're saying that it needs to be held. Mm-hmm. 
And so glad to be on this evening, I tell you. Yes. It's an interesting time to say, to, to, to say the least. I was just watching the end of the fiasco and debacle coming out of the occupant's mouth in Washington, D.C. at 1600. I'm sorry, out of, out, of, out, of whose mouth? out of whose mouth? I said the occupant. I don't identify. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we slap it the hell up. That. That, is the most, that is the most respectful, like, lack of acknowledgement I've ever heard. <laughs> well, what else but do you I saw, a, I saw a teenager call him a bunker rat today. That's mm. it. He did. The other night, he did. He shut and down. He turned off the lights at the damn White House. What kids the? are undefeated? Someone said that the White House looked like a plantation, and I, I've never felt that. I, that is the, the best description of that. It's actually, <laughs> yeah. I agree. And I, so, you know, it's odd. I've been in the White House more times than I can count in the previous three administrations, and mm. this particular one. Folks said, well, don't you think it's better to have a seat at the table? Uh, said it depends what the table even it's, looks like. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to sit everywhere. <laughs> You're yeah. You don't want to be the only black person at his table. to sit at in the first place. And I no, I, I don't fall for the yeah. oak. I'm from North Carolina originally. I appreciate it. I appreciate bigotry and racism when folks can be honest and tell me who you are. So if you want to unfriend or uh, or block me, let me know who you are before you do that. Mm-hmm. So that I could identify you and know who you are. Growing up in North Carolina, mm-hmm. I appreciated Jesse Helms and Strom Thurmond, old school senators, because you knew that they were racist. And they would tell you, no, I don't want you going to school with my grandkids. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least I know where you stand instead of standing next to you at work, thinking we're having a cordial conversation, only to find out later that you're conspiring for my downfall. So the mm-hmm. issues we see right now are, for, for most people who are Black in this country, are not new issues. We just happen to have these devices and things to capture yes. in real time. But the words of James Baldwin still hold true. I cannot believe what you say because I see what it what is. What you do. Yeah. Yeah. Next, yeah. Uh, it's a different time. There's no question about that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for the iPhones. I mean, that was no, one no, hell of an introduction in a way to, no, to, in, to introduce yourself to the audience, man. I genuinely appreciate that. That was refreshing. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I've had some time to kind of process this and think about it. I'm sitting in Seattle right now at my place. I live between D.C. and Seattle, so literally a tale of two Washingtons. And the mm-hmm. tenor and tone oh. of the country is different. You know, even as we talk about Karens, and, and I, don't, I don't want to Ooh. use the generic term Karen <laughs> because we can call Amy Cooper who she is by name. Karen didn't help her get fired from Franklin, identifying her for who she was. And so I appreciate all the common terms and language, but I tell people, I'm like a Yana Van Zandt, call a thing a thing, call a person a person, and let people know who they are by their name so that Twitter can do its work and get people ousted where they need to. It's a, the, the challenges I think that we face today in trying to wrap your mind around how do you show up as a black person in society, how do you compartmentalize your pain, your frustration, your angst? How do you channel and direct that? Knowing that you still got to deliver. Atira still has to be a mama. No matter how her kids are sourcing through it, no matter what her clients say, she's still got to be who she is. Each of us have got to figure that out. And it is a, it's a different journey. The other thing I, I was telling some staff members earlier today, none of us get the luxury of placing our pain on somebody else and trying to tell them what protests look like. I've seen so many black folks get online to say, 
well, this is not a peaceful protest. I can go all the way back before Dr. King, before Rosa Parks, before Colin, where we've tried to protest in a variety of ways. There is no true designation for what real protests look like. Absolutely. Each of us, we protest. Some people gonna protest behind their keyboard and wear Twitter out and be mm -hmm. highly effective. Some folks have a full platform with thousands of millions of followers and can showcase an image, and that can be their form of protest. And others may decide that they want to go downtown and march and do that. Right. I don't necessarily need to loot personally, but I'm not going to dissuade other folks from doing and sharing their frustration Absolutely. the way they right. I will tell you what. George Floyd died last week. Mm -hmm. And we not had looting, rioting, and literally people vandalizing police cars. We wouldn't even be having this national conversation. The occupant oh, couldn't yeah. even pull that stunt he did last night holding a Bible in front of a church that he hasn't even attended but only walked by. Like, yeah. you right. can say what you want about the looting and rioting, but the reality is it is providing a voice for those who have felt for too long they have, that they've been voiceless and it has called attention in a different way, and it's going to get us a result. And we can debate yeah. about how we get there. I laugh, too, because people are like, well, you know, we need Dr. King's approach. You all didn't like Dr. King until no. after he was assassinated. Right. Mm -hmm. Listen, people Malcolm X operated. Like, the reality is, and I'm sure they sat and had their little meetings. Like, look, bruh, <laughs> I can't get in my pulpit on Sunday and preach nonviolence and then go out here and do this speech in March. So this is my part to do. You're going to handle this part. And what you can't handle, who we need and everybody else going to handle. But there was a right. coordinated strategic approach, but it led in the of it of liberating black folks to get the same access that other folks had in this country. And, it's and, and not without dissension either within right. the, the group. I think we tend to fantasize the civil rights movement and how smooth and easy and collaborative it was. There, yeah, there like, were fights, there yeah. were arguments, there were disagreements. And, and we have, right, and we have to get to a place where we're okay with knowing our role. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that I, I could say this. I know that if I were a slave, I would have been the one to be like, all right, let me see them do that round or two first to see if they made it to freedom. I need, let, 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 let Harriet figure the yeah. route out a little bit better yeah, yeah, first. Yeah. Like, I know that's me just like right now. I'm not the, let me go stand on literally the front line yeah. in front of a barrel of a gun. Like I don't, that's not my constitution. Like I know myself enough related to fear and angst, right? right? But what I can do is be the voice inside of organizations and spaces and say the things to white people using my expertise and my PhD and the framing of that to say the things to them that the other 5% of black people in the organization can't say. And guess what? Right. You know what I mean? right. like, it, takes, it takes all of those approaches yeah. to get to where we are. It's mm -hmm. like I was sharing with some media folks earlier today. They were talking about, yeah, it's Blackout Tuesday. Make sure you don't use hashtag Black Lives Matter. Totally co-opting, in most cases, the original mm -hmm. intention of the idea. But I said, mm -hmm. it's interesting the music industry of all places is going to say, let's have Blackout Tuesday. Why yeah. don't you go to Sony.com and go to the corporate board of directors headquartered out of Asia and tell them to black out their board and change the seats that they have? Or if I look right. at the 12 leaders for Sony Music headquartered here in the U.S., can mm -hmm. you tell me why Sylvia is the only black person that actually runs a music division because she leads Epic? There are tons of ways that we can see about getting changed. I'm also curious, all these presidents of corporations issued their statements about how they cared after COVID and the things we need to do. And the pandemic is real. Let me be clear. It is real. People yeah. are dying. There's no question. But all of these major corporate CEOs issued all these statements. 
and all of them right now are silent. I can tell you Implicit. what. Implicit. Implicity. Dollar. It means you don't deserve a single penny. And I have no time or effort to focus on what it is you're doing or about. And then chime in on that because you also mentioned that everyone is, or a lot of people are saying, oh, let's take Dr. Martin Luther King's approach. But most people that reference King's approach um, are completely null and void. To, like they don't even have any idea that the last speech he gave was pretty much talking about taking back the power of the black dollar. Right. They had that man assassinated because he said, you know what? We're going to stop buying milk from their dairy farms. Mm -hmm. We're going to stop buying their bread. We're going to stop patron. We're going to stop being patrons at their um, supermarkets. Yeah. And they were like, oh, shit. He also started talking about white poverty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they, and they, they couldn't, they that couldn't take. uncomfortable. Well, that's, that's, that, that's not common knowledge, right? At yeah. that point, it was a common knowledge that the black dollar was enough to snatch two of the legs off of the table that the United States sits or the chair that the United States stood so tall on. And, and, it had, and that our buying power was enough to shake shit up. And Joe, I'll, I'll, I'll take that a step further. When people think about Dr. King or any of the famed civil, civil rights leaders, Fannie Lou Hamer, all of them, and you look at the types of things they endured, what things transpired in society, make no mistake about it, this gamesmanship has been transpiring long before slavery started. It will continue. Mm -hmm. I would love to say I'll see it end during my lifetime, but mm -hmm. I am a realist in this country. Just mm -hmm. as they earned literally 99 years ago to over the last couple of days, Black Wall Street in Tulsa. The reality Ooh. is these cycles continue, but we have to be smarter and think differently about how we engage. So even mm -hmm. when Atira talks about how do you shift the organizational culture and climate, it's like we need people both. It's not an either or. It's not either you protest in the street or you say you think you're saying yes or no, some massa in the corporate workplace. It is a yes and proposition. Yeah, right. Who can figure out how do I influence, shift, shape policy, advise mm -hmm. candidates to make sure people get out to vote? How do I then make sure folks are on the front line? They're organized. They're demanding justice. How do I make sure somebody needs to be back here because we've got to create bail money for everybody who's protesting and gets arrested? There's got to be an organized strategy. I was looking at some video out of Asia because folks now are literally protesting around the world. If you didn't see the mm -hmm. video coming out yeah. of Paris today, it is absolutely astounding the number of folks. But I was watching this video out of Asia all the way down to their gear and the notifications that they send to the mass mm -hmm. public, how they organize. They create assembly lines. Let's pass this piece of the blockade down. Let me mm -hmm. make sure you have a helmet. Do you have a shield? And yeah. I'm not talking about the police or the government. I'm talking about the citizenry the saying, well, right. we need a strategic approach to make it work. And they're able to hold the line. So there's something about that that we've got to unearth and unpack as black and brown folks in this country to mm. figure out a better right. systematic way to get the outcomes that we need. But these we current times show us race. that. Yeah, but these today. current times show us that how, un, how divided we actually are, right? And I said this to my lady the other day. It was like 9-11, the only thing you heard for years after 9-11 was united we stand, divided we fall. But it's, uh, it's, it's mind blowing to see how divided we are as a people. We weren't the we well, in that statement. Yeah, though, but, yeah, right. that's, yeah that's we, was, we were never considered whole yeah. humans, even yeah, in the never. existence of the flag never. and the constitution, my guy. Yeah. Like, what? We're not, and, it's always been a not you culture. Yeah, and and it's not. It should not be mind blowing. I mean, the system, the system, the division is as integral to the system as it is white supremacy. Like, 
the fear is that we actually understand our self-worth that we actually realize like the, the the make no mistake that society is on the backbone is is on the backs of minorities we know that so the device has to be that we aren't able to yeah. unify whether that's when they go up in our corporate structure, they have to assimilate, otherwise we can't let them up. So once you assimilate, you detach from your brothers and sisters who aren't in the same position as you're in. Every device, every device, it's, it's as, as, as intentional as the quote unquote microaggressions. All of it is meant for us to be divided. And, and, and controlled. Yeah, the reflection yeah, thing. I mean, we have, it, it's, it's intentional. And, and just one point about um, what you said too, Byron, about the the protests like i don't understand why we're acting as if this country the history of how this country was started was civil you know the boston tea party wasn't a hey guys this thing didn't work out we're upset like yeah. they went on and they were throwing products into the war like no we're we need your attention now this is how mad we are the entire like the entire thing the polit the political exchanges when they were um establishing the first 13 colonies those were fist fights that would happen there were pistols brought out in the street like yeah. it was, there was nothing civil you about know, white people white people have selective memories they only remember their history they don't they, they don't but they don't even remember that because they think that it's just it went smooth sailing right. when they we learned yeah. it from them we, like right. I, I need them to, like there has to be a point where we just we let them know the degrees in which we learned how to be violent you know consequence we, we, yeah we like if you have us on a plantation and we're watching our own bodies being whipped tortured hung there, there are there are inconceivable ways that you can treat another human being that we've been subjected to to the point where we normalized it right but we were conditioning others it's yeah, conditioning we, uh, right we, yeah mm -hmm. we weren't doing that to, we weren't doing because there's no reason to do it just to do it these were, these were tactics for you to get us to do what you needed. Even though we had the that. numbers and outnumbered folks. Right. A lot of right. it was psychological right. warfare. Yeah, but and you can hold back. That. We got to get them to own it. And that's the thing. Like, there has to be a no. point where they come to terms. And th that's, that's the part really? of the guilt that you run into, the denial, why they can't actually consider us humans. Because it's, it's a chain effect. Once I consider you an equal, once My I consider God. your son an equal, like my son that goes to school, then I have to start backtracking everything. Wait, you're a mom. I'm a mom. Mm -hmm. Your father. I'm questioning all of it. it, it the it, humanity. It, the that, humanity. That was the whole thing, and they can't. They can't they, afford that to happen. They so. they they don't see any of it. I was taking Hudson for a walk today, and on my way, I'm passing by a deli, and I could hear loudly talking. Yeah, it's crazy, and they just burned up the store. I look in, two white men took same day. So I stopped the stroller and looked in, and they froze. <laughs> and then I just kept going to CVS because I really wanted to stop and say, who the fuck is they? And instead of saying they burned up the store, why aren't you asking why, jackass? That's the question, Pete. That is the question. Every, everything is, oh, my God, the place is a wreck. Melissa was saying somebody was talking about, like, oh, they hit the horse in the face. Right. You're talking about a horse getting hit in the fucking face? They digress on everything. They 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 couldn't wait. They couldn't wait. Their dogs have more rights to than start us. looting because they know that they're gonna shift it right from George Floyd to looting. They now they now it's focused even in the media and it's and it's so whack because the media 
they 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 they're, they're focusing on that right now. Well, bro, here, here's something. I'm I'm thankful. I'm thankful mm-hmm. that we have the 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 idiot in chief who occupies the White House because <laughs> yeah. there was a moment in time where I think you're exactly right. When the riot started and the looting started, the tide of public opinion could have easily shifted in that direction. Mm-hmm. But when those white folks were marching on the White House last night, right. and they turned around and started pepper gassing and pepper spraying and tear gassing into an audience that was silent, not doing anything other than to clear space for him. And I don't know if you all have been to the White House, but I'm going to paint the picture for you. (laughs) To get to St. John's Church, where that famed photo op took place, there is a direct corridor from the side of the White House that goes straight there. In order to get there the way he did to clear those folks, you have to go through the middle of Lafayette Park, which is what he did. I, yeah, so in other words, he went out there, came mm-hmm. back across to go through the middle to then go over. The last time I checked in math, and I mean, I've been a K school principal, <laughs> math's not my subject, but the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. A straight and line, yeah. right. Well, you know, sometimes, but sometimes you have to give people. Go ahead, Azira. Sometimes you have to give people an opportunity to cut up. And let me say what I mean by that. <laughs> Sometimes you have to be still and sit to let other people's unsteadiness show itself. And so I'm glad that moments like this are happening where people are being still and allowing the force and the, the brutality and everything to be clear. Because here's something that happens when you fight back equally, no one can tell who the aggressor is or who the instigator is. is like this is basic communication art of war type stuff right sometimes you gotta just sit and let the person show themselves and who they are so you'll be like so when you retaliate it's actually just exactly and honestly that's something that we have to start getting smart about and how we communicate with each other within our race that's how we have to get smart in our relationships that's how we have to get smart when we're in these organizational spaces like we have to start playing playing some mind games too well, there's a thing that you mentioned um, before, um, uh, Atira, about, and, and, and it, it, it definitely strikes on one of the, the biggest resources that we had during the era that you said, I think it was before the 80s. Um, they had town halls. They had community. Like, we don't have that. They had community. You could ask questions. You had your fellow Black brothers, sisters. It, it felt like everyone was responsible for each other because nobody's in this by themselves. Mm-hmm. Like we need, we need, we can't, we can't trust that we will all move forward if it goes down if we don't have those exchanges. So what you do have is a lot of people that feel a certain way, and I think being on doing these protests, that's the first time a lot of people are like, oh, we are actually really close to the same page. For a lot of mm-hmm. people, this is the first time before we used to have those town halls, you would see how packed the town hall was. So you already you already knew what the protest day was going to be like. You're like, oh, okay, cool. The line's out the door. Okay, so we're ready. We're ready to mobilize. Cool. We don't have that because that generation that you're speaking about, 80s, 90s, which I, I fall into, where we we felt like things were progressing and Good. felt like we didn't need well, those Well, that resources. was also fake. It was fake financial freedom, right? That's when Absolutely. we were moving on up. That's when it was, you know, champagne oh, and caviar. That's when on up. She hit that you on know the head. Ding, ding. Right. You know, that's when all of that started happening, where we just started feeling like we're good. We started moving out of communities. Yeah, we started black. having titles. We started, mm-hmm. so like, when we all didn't have nothing, 
yeah, we yeah. understood something. And that's why I do think the context of Corona matters here. Because oh, no, what I do great. think happened with Corona is it neutralized a lot of stuff. I don't care if you live in a 400 square foot apartment or you live in a 5,000 square foot house or you're one of these millionaires. All you have is your food and your couch and your TV. What else are any of us doing? Yeah, so there's, level it was a neutralizer. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think that the neutralization of all the things that usually prime us to fall into different like self-expression and identity and even on instagram like you could tell people are starting to post less of the flexes right like once once you can't go nowhere to get dolled up and do nothing and pop a bottle in a picture what are we all doing for real but sitting at home right i mean they don't make that's becomes different (laughs) so right now the flex is i'm protesting i'm look i'm out here like i'm like that that's becoming a new flex and we need to be careful with that well, let's flex and vote. Well, let's talk about that, yeah. right? Flex and vote. But also, have you guys been paying attention to the celebrities that are taking, like, personal offense to the loss of material goods? Like, so, Lori Harvey, um, The Dream, Virgil Abloh. Who else? Who else do I have? Oh, Shekinah from... Um, Shekinah, well, I'm paying attention to none of them. Shekinah, um, Ti, they they talking some silly shit. Like when when the folks ran when the folks ran into um Gucci and Lenny Small, yeah. yeah, and um they took oh man why are you messing with Gucci? Gucci ain't do nothing to you people. Oh, I'm sorry. So you in this moment of protest and civil unrest, you would much rather voice your opinion about a brand that is easily showed the public what they think of black people in comparison to monkeys you'd rather voice on their side as opposed no, to and that no, you no, can't no, afford no. right now i think now i think, anyway, think ti is the wrong target for that money on club appearances no, no, he got active about that no i deleted he got active about that but he still fam he got active about that but he then went on he then went on the news with the governor i mean with the mayor of um keisha of atlanta who went to family? FYI, shout out, family. And he, he literally <laughs> sat down and condemned the people for going into Gucci and messing with these good people. He called Atlanta Wakanda. Don't tear up Wakanda. Yeah. I mean, okay. okay. So his messaging was probably like he shouldn't. We shouldn't be looting. Like what I said earlier. Call. I'm, I'm call. Yeah. Call probably heard me. Yeah. Like you want to do something, go do all that looting and stealing from their community because they just watch you tear your own hood up. So I think he should have finished his thought. Or maybe whatever was on the cutting floor and they edited it. Because obviously I don't want to hear rhetoric of the saying go to the white. It was live. Yeah. It was live. Yeah. And he should have finished I'm sorry, his statement. Lennox Mall is very few people's hoods. Tear that shit up. I listen, I, I think we have there's there is an issue. I mean what is alluding to? We, gotta stop, we have to stop we have to stop assigning Nothing. assigning uh credibility to people who are not their, experts. They're talented in one right. I listen. You already know where my stance is. Colin Kaepernick is a is a family friend of mine. So even as a Jay Z fan of his art, he is in the same boat as Kanye West is with me. Where I love Kanye as an artist, I do not agree with him in his political stance. Um, Jay Z and his lining with the busy, man. The Jay Z and his and his lining with the NFL. It was it was it was a sellout move. So and Ti, yes, you can you can absolutely. Be for a cause, right. and have conflicting uh, views. So I don't. 
like I'm not shocked by T.I. saying something that, that, that doesn't fall in line with it. But again, we're not qualifying him to, to hold that, 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 that crown. Yes. We well, have- you know what I thought about when T.I. came out and, you know, and I made a post about this. So I, I, don't, I, feel, I feel comfortable saying that publicly in this space. I don't necessarily agree with Mayor Keisha Bottoms bringing T.I. out. And I understand her why she did. <laughs> But this isn't like bringing James Brown. This isn't like bringing James Brown out in the middle of the riots where the community respects him to the point that his voice can cry. Right. Should have been well. Killer Mike. You know what I'm no, saying? They did, they did kill like, Mike. And that was and that and that should have been it. Killer Mike. I, yeah, right. Killer Mike is, that, he's the one that's been right the whole time. And, and he was emotional in that. And he was like, listen, I don't want to be here. So there's a solidarity in that and said, but I know that. There are people that preceded me that fought to build up Atlanta, mm-hmm. and it was, it's my it's my duty to that to those efforts that I'm That's standing right. here and asking you not to destroy our neighborhood because we don't have anything else. He wasn't in here like don't burn Gucci. He's like, look, our structure. This is the la- This is the only structure we have. We lose this. We do not have a window to build another one of this. They're not going to allow. But it I Atlanta. do think I do think we have to give some grace on something though. Okay. And I don't think we do a good enough job as humans, not even black people, not even Americans. Just, I think we don't allow for diversity of thought well. And I think because as black people, we have been grouped to be assumed to be a homogenous group that thinks the same, feels the same, acts the same, that when there is dissent or when there is no consensus, we judge, right? And all of us do that, it's a human way. So there's no, you know what I mean? But, but I do think it, what, we have to ask ourselves, like, what does that mean now? Like, what if all six of us disagreed with something? Here's what we all know. We all want Black people to be alive. Mm-hmm. Now, right. the path and the highways and the detours that we take to get there may be different. It's like when you go on GPS and they show you five routes and there's just a difference of a minute or two between each. And you're like, damn, which one do I take? But they can, those, those pathways can look so different, you know? Yeah. But it's still just a one-minute, two-minute difference. Right. Yeah. And so when we're thinking about differences in approach and in voice, I do think... And I think we can publicly disagree with each other. Like, so that's, I'm not saying we have to say, oh, let's keep it in the house before we get out and yeah, talk to the right. world. But I do think whether we're in the house or out of the house, there does have to be some, because everyone's coming from their own lens. But the only thing I would caution us on in that space, Atira, and I agree with the whole notion of divergent voices, because again, like I use King and Malcolm X mm-hmm. and other folks mm-hmm. on that area, they had a different, each had a different approach and style for how they wanted to get there. In this day and age though, what we know the media will do, mainstream media, and whether that's CNN, Fox, MSNBC, pick any of the networks, what they're going to do is take that division amongst the voices. So they're gonna take a Candace Owens, they're gonna take a Katrina Pearson and say, listen to this set of black folks. Right. Listen to Mark Morial, who represents the Urban League, but notice that they're all black. And then it allows people like white folks who are struggling with white fragility and white guilt to say they don't even know what they want, so I don't even need to step forward in this. But at this right. particular yeah, moment, yeah. Right. what is necessary and required, I had to tell some folks online, listen, if you're really my friend, I'm looking at your posts. If I can't see that you're posting, sharing content, challenging your friends, your colleagues, your family, your coworker, your spouse, and your children to correct their mindset and behavior, we, that means you don't value my life. Because I could have been George, I could have been Tatiana, I could have been Mike, I could have been Trayvon, any of those folks. Any and of it. Use your yeah. privilege in this moment, then don't ever tell me about, well, I'm an ally, I'm a supporter. I don't need a silent supporter. I, I, I don't need right. that. I got enough of those. 
we got enough. Well, you know what that. I need something fundamentally different. I need you to flex in a way that I can't and in spaces that I'm not. Because it's not us that are oppressing each other. It's your right. folks who are doing that. And it's and not our, it's not on us to fix it. I posted in that chat where Malcolm X said, be very careful because the oppressor will have you love the oppressor and feeling as if you should hate those who are oppressed. It is a challenge in this day and age to get people to realize we can't turn on each other, but we need a collective movement that can have some mm -hmm. division and dissension, but we need to be moving in the same direction, wanting the same outcomes. And I am convinced that there are some folks who don't want to see everybody succeed. There are some mm -hmm. who only want their handful to be in the room, in the circle, in the conversation with their hand in the cookie jar and the hell with everybody else. And I'm saying time up for all of that because mm -hmm. everybody's time is running out. Mm -hmm. So let me ask um, you guys a question. What exact tangible things do, you, do, you, do we feel as a group need to change? Um, like to, to, to lighten the load or to, to, to stop these types of things from happening? Also, what kind of things do, what type of tangible things can we push towards? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'll tell you the first thing that comes to mind, when I, whenever there is an officer involved shooting while they're under investigation, I don't think you should be on paid administrative leave. You should sit at no. home without a check. Yep. That's the first until thing. They, until they figure out that you're, that you're actually city, just. Or when the city has to settle, don't make the city pay for it out of our taxpayer dollars. Take it out of the police union who was sponsoring the person who acted that way. I guarantee you. Consequence. That if folks have to start paying that bill and they see it directly impacts their, as my mama would say, their pocketbook or their wallet and their hip, their perspective around what's at stake begins to change. Those are two tangible things. The third one I would say that collectively we've got to continue to focus on improving educational outcomes for young folks so that they can get to a space that they can be able to articulate, have agency within their voice, have advocacy for themselves, and they know their role in the broader narrative and mm -hmm. how they perpetuate a different outcome. Those are three things yeah. that I would mention quickly. Atira? In with the fire. AC? No, I'm just thinking, man, because I'm just, you know, it's one of those, that the, what's in my mind, I was, my pause, I was like looking up in my brain was this whole idea of like respectability politics. And I think that we get into this space where perform, like all of this is performance. Like for, to be human is to perform, right? Like kids learn it from, kids learn to, ah, mm -hmm. looking at me, are they gonna fall? Like we, that's, that's our way. But I think right now, I think in our community, respectability politics, and honestly in the white community too, because there's white people who may feel a way, but don't want to express it the same way. We may not want to express things that we feel because they don't want to lose some of their status or power that they have spent time acquiring. Just like no they one wants to, to lose everything. walk up in and work. They need to lose work, everything though. You know, like, yeah, yeah, no, bring it all down. Like, it's like, hold up, I still got my pension. I got four kids at home, I got this, I got, you know, people are saying all of that. So there's mm -hmm. things that regulate their behaviors too that make them not use their voice. Now, it doesn't, I'm, it doesn't matter. I guess what, I, what I'm pushing us to kind of think about, and I do think as black people, we need to think about this. I think we have to understand psychology better and I think we need to be more self-aware because I think if we understand like how humans operate and how humans think, then we can be strategic in the game when we're playing with other people. 
right? And, and, and it helps us understand, okay, well, I'm seeing this behavior. I'm seeing this behavioral pattern. Oh, this is coming next. Oh, let me try this. Let me come around. Like we have to start, we have to start being smarter and, and we do it in sports. You know, people watch footage, they watch the games, they rewatch the game. Like we're not rewatching stuff. We're not strategizing. We're not like we're not figuring things out. We're not figuring out at what point do they typically escalate. We're not like we're not mm-hmm. we're not figuring that out. But let me tell you why we're not. Because we don't understand our own behavioral patterns individually enough to know how it could operate with other individuals, definitely not different individuals, and definitely not a whole nother identity group of a collective. Yeah. Because we're not even figuring out our own stuff related to that. And so I just challenge everybody to like learn yourself and your patterns more because that will help you understand other people's patterns. There's nothing we do in life that, ha- that is competition-based, that is war-based, where we don't study, right? Like mm-hmm. we have to study. And, we're, and right now, this is a human behavior game. When something goes left, something goes right. When something goes up, something goes down. This is a human behavior game. But if we don't understand human behavior, we won't win. We just won't win. And if we look back in time, be it slave revolts, whether it's the Haitian Revolution, there was a moment where they said, hold up. We got to work against the psyche of what they've been doing and how they've been acting. So let's, let's switch it up a little bit. Let's, you know what I mean? Let's juke them a little and see if we... Like we have to start experimenting with human behavior, and but we can't do that if we don't even know our own selves for real. Which is which is I got something mentioned notes today. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Carl. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, and I'm and I'm terrible at remembering his name. Um, the the uh, who led the um the revolt. Um, Toussaint Louverture. Yeah, and, and the history of how he did. I mean, like it's it's to minimize them to even mention just Haiti. How they went and tactfully broke up slavery in so many other countries. They were like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, cool. We figured it out. I mean, it, you're yeah. absolutely right. It was pure strategy. And they were, I mean, not just lightly beating them. They were destroyed, like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, but that's, that's also the reason that we're not, we're not good as a collective to own the strategy. We're good as a collective to follow somebody who has a strategy, which is what they mm-hmm. took from us with the Malcolm and the Martin. We will mobilize, but we have to own that intellect as a collective because then they can't remove it from us just because they took out our leader. But I'm going to say this too, though. There was a psychology game to how they led us too. Oh, yeah. And this is what I'm, like, there there was a system of structure and power and control that allowed Malcolm to have the nation following in sync, right? Mm-hmm. There was a there's a psychology of the church mm-hmm. and religion Absolutely. that allowed a a followership to occur. So like when we talk about Martin and Malcolm a lot as if they're just some random person that like had a Twitter account and say, yo, meet me at the spot. Like they were parts of institutions. Right. But they were parts mm-hmm. of institutions that said follow. Mm-hmm. And if I go even deeper on it, they were spiritual organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people weren't just doing what's right and wrong. Like they were following a spiritual belief system and ideology that led them and that like made them focus on I'm following. So it could have been, it could have not been Martin. It could have not been Malcolm and collective followership would have occurred because anytime you have a, 
organizational structure mm -hmm. that's based and rooted in ideology, then people go and they follow, sometimes blindly, but at least you have troops. And if we ask ourselves right now, like what organization are we psychologically connected to that's leading? None. What None. organization that we're spiritually bonded to is leading in a way that makes us say, I don't know about this young 31 year old preacher man, but every pastor in the Southeast is saying we need to roll with him. We roll in. You know, or I don't know about this new brother Malcolm that came well, in here out of nowhere with his cute self, and now he's up here telling us what to do. But you know what? The Honorable you know, Elijah Muhammad said, "Let's follow." So I'm rolling, right? You know, Tira, you're you're onto something. And with what Carl said, because even if you think about the Panhellenic Council, so I'm not Greek, right? But I know tons of people and family members who are. Absolutely, yeah. When I look at the national dialogue and discussion, and so when you talk about well, what institution, what organizations that exist, so people are going to typically refer to the NAACP, which to some degree has lost its zeal for this generation. The National mm -hmm. Urban League, some people would say has lost their power beyond their economic interests. And then even if you look at fraternities and sororities, and so you've got to figure out how do we utilize the institutions that are established, that, have, that are well-financed and staffed in a professional way to move in that direction. And then you mm -hmm. have, without, it's not scrappy anymore, but it would, be scra it would be scrappy when it first started. And then when you look at Black Lives Matter, when the movement first started, it was just folks who were saying, no, enough's enough. I'm tired of this. We're going to do something collectively mm -hmm. because all of those aforementioned groups are not doing anything at the rate of change that we want to see. Right. I think one of the most dangerous things that's happening right now is that young people are saying, I don't have anything else to lose because I know I could die tomorrow and not make it through the night. So I am willing to put it all on the line. And now we're through chances. that not just with black folks but white folks and Asian and Hispanic and folks are saying, we're, they all listen to Fannie Lou Hamer, even though they don't know who she is. And they all said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I've seen too many deaths. I've seen too right. many things happen that go unanswered for that there's no accountability. Who would have thought that you could look at Australia, New Zealand, London, Paris, in less than a five day period of time and see literally millions of people now around the world. The, the scariest thing for me that is sad, not just the loss of life that has its own challenge, is that as a country, <laughs> we were the ones that could hold other countries to account for the atrocities and their human rights issues and challenges. We were the folks saying, no, you need to free Nelson Mandela. No, you need to stop apartheid. Do you realize right now where we sit? We have reversed positions for the, the entire bottom. world. The folks are like, what in the world is happening exactly. over there? But, it tells but see, timing, timing does something with that too, right? So yeah. while he said the occupant is in there, that's a variable right now. So even if we take it from a country level identity perspective, People have seen us as the people who come around like the, you know, bull in the China closet doing stuff, but there's an empathy other countries have for us right now, and they feel bad mm -hmm. that we're yeah. under the leadership Absolutely. Of, of 45. Absolutely. And so it's like, it's him. It's not them. It's him. And so there's a different compassion that's opened up for them, too, about like, okay, this, this isn't even regular America. <laughs> like this isn't even the regular one yeah, you know, America. America. I don't just clear and I'm gonna be honest I mean I just like the occupant a lot for a whole host of reasons right 
but he did not put himself in office. Right. A lot of folks did. And I'm going to be the bear of bad news, but the bear of reality. And it wasn't just white folks. Absolutely not. Nope. No, it was not. Because we don't do our research. Time and time again, we vote against our own self-interest. My other great concern right now is people who got those checks and those letters that came and some people now are getting the cards because the IRS couldn't find the account and throwing them away on accident. They're going to look and say, well, look what he gave us. He gave us $1,200. I'm still living. I mean, what what else are going to do? That's exactly how it sounds to me. And the reality is we need platforms like this and voices like yours to continue to help fight through the noise to make sense for folks to understand what really is at stake. And I'm glad. I'm glad he's helped a couple people get out of get released and pardoned thanks to kim kardashian west great thank you so much for your project i love it glad but what about the other folks that don't have a name that don't are not bankrolled the same way collectively to your point Atira, we've got to figure out how we not only I hold each other accountable but how we take a systematic approach to demand a different outcome that is the only way we're mm-hmm. going to see change in our lifetime I, I have some notes here, and um, you guys both come from the corporate structure, and I just wanted to make sure I uh, inserted it because I don't think we saw it. I, I questioned a few people today, a former NYPD cop, um, one of my friends who's on the school board in Mount Vernon, a school teacher who was actually a sister of a presiding judge in a Long Island town, um, just mm-hmm. asking about all of their little points here. And another one of my friends who was raising two young sons who probably gave me one of the most alarming facts today, um, not alarming in such a bad way, that um, corporate giant Viacom has taken a position of putting this in front of young children to force the parents to have the uncomfortable conversation. On Nick Jr. this week, Oh yeah, I saw that. they put, I can't breathe, ads all over every single one of their channels from MTV, Comedy Central, the VH1, and all of the Nickelodeon, all through and nine minutes of black screen and breathing. And my friend goes, my son, huh? It was a mistake. What? Okay, so we have an insider who has, who knows someone from Viacom, Melissa's in the side giving me um, information. Reve is saying it was on purpose. Okay, so it was supposed to be on MTV, VH1, and Comedy Central. This ad with the nine minutes of straight breathing, and it ended up on Nick Jr. So then it's ironic because my friend was like, "I got two young boys, and I just had to have this crazy conversation with my four-year-old about why it was nine minutes of breathing, and I can't breathe on Nick Jr." Good. Uh, mistake or not, oh, I'm glad it Mistake happened. or not. Right. What do you guys think, both equally, Atira and Byron, what do you think about Viacom taking their positions, even if they, mistake or not, that they're putting it in people's faces and holding them accountable for it? Because it's, it, it's beyond, comp- it, they're not complying. They're like, nah, you got to have this conversation. Well, in theory they are complying so let's remember earlier we talked about the psychological contract that people have like with their workplace or that you have in a family or in a relationship or there's a societal one and right now quote unquote doing the right thing is the psychological contract Mm. so organizations that are putting these letters out and doing these bold things 
actually are aligning with what the expectation, the social expectation is right now. Mm -hmm. Right. So then the question becomes, okay, well, how do I do it better? Or how do I do it stronger? Mm -hmm. Or how do I do it bolder? Mm -hmm. Or how do I do it more creatively? Or how do I, right? And so I think that Viacom actually was, was aligning with what it is now. To put it in front, I'm not surprised that it went to Nickelodeon by accident. I'm not. Because I don't think that the powers that be are ready for like those conversations. But again, I say there's something in the air. And that was supposed to happen. Because one of the bigger problems that we have right now is that a lot of, a lot of white children are protected from knowing what's going on in the world because of conversations. My kids live a very privileged life. But their mom does this work. So even right now, they're outside. They they just hearing me talk. Like, even if I'm not talking to them, they hear. There's a narrative they're hearing in their sphere. And even the most white, progressive, liberal, you know, white family doesn't have to talk about it as much. So those kids are not getting the messaging. So the fact that it is popping up, be clear, there's also parents that probably saw it, turned it off, and they asked and said, don't worry about it. It's adult stuff. Right. So it's not that that, that messaging and commercial is not going to make all of a sudden everyone sit down and have this kumbaya moment. The parents who will talk, but here's another thing I get concerned about as an educator and even someone that does this work with adult learning. You don't want the wrong person teaching either. Mm-hmm. Right. Man. So I rather sometimes. Yeah, because they could have said that breathing was about the niggas. Right. Like, so it opens whole... up the door. So you have to be careful with like, when you do mass platform stuff with no facilitation. And I'll tell my clients that sometimes. I'll be like, oh, Doc, can, can you make a video and we're going to send it out across the internet? And then, no, you're not just sending a video across the internet without me being able to debrief with the people. No. Because you don't know how people are processing mm-hmm. what you just put out there. The only thing I would add in response to that, and, and I, I need to check the corporate structure, but I, I'm fairly certain Marva Smalls is still the EVP in charge of inclusion um, and public affairs for all of Viacom. So it would not surprise me if it were highly intentional, planned and strategic. I know enough about media organizations to know that I don't think they make those mistakes. Now, maybe some yeah. of the backlash they got prompted them to now say that was a mistake that it went on Nick mm-hmm. Jr., but I do know for a fact that that was planned to go, especially on their primary adult networks uh, like Comedy Central and so forth. And I think it's time that that is a good example where corporations can use their platform, their assets, and their vehicle to call attentions in a real way, unlike the NFL who issues a statement. But when we then look and say, but your, your stance on this entire issue is flawed at best and the money that you threw at it still has made no substance change in real time and so i can applaud the effort if 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 it's factual and it was roadblocked that's what they would call it you roadblock it as a network when you run something across every single station or format that you control social digital and real time radio tv etc i used to lead education nation for nbc news and for our Education Nation campaign, it was required, whether you were the Weather Channel or the Today Show, you had to do programming around Education Nation during the week that we were running the national campaign because you're calling the entire culture of the company to rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of a better company, or a better moment rather, not company, but a better moment in time for a company to truly live out their diversity statement and values. Mm-hmm. So if you say you value all mm-hmm. this, you want to have kumbaya, 
Here is a real example to not only put your money where your mouth is, put your policy where your mouth is, but actually deliver a tangible programmatic solution that forces people. I do also concur with the Tira that we have a whole host of folks that are educating children who are not that equipped. They haven't processed and gone through this journey mm -hmm. on their own yeah. and formulate and unpack it well enough to educate a student. I know for a fact that there are young people who have a better grasp on what has happened. I'll give you one case in point. When Philando Castile got killed in Minneapolis, it was amazing to me the coverage that people gave the sensational video of Diamond Reynolds sitting on the passenger side, Facebook Live, his death and his murder and execution on site. That video jarred me. But what disturbed me to my very core was when Diamond was handcuffed in the back of the squad car yeah, and his three-year-old daughter turned around and said, Mommy, I need you to calm down right. so that you don't get shooted. Right. To think that a three-year-old exactly. has presence of mind and has been so much, has been through so much stuff in this day and age, but she had presence of mind to say, yo, 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 time out. You need right. to stop all that before you get shot. Right. Yeah. And then finish and she's three. saying, three. Mommy, I just wish these streets would be a little safer. And so we have a responsibility to our young people as well to mm -hmm. figure out how do we ensure that they know that the world they live in is safe, that they have the resources and tools that they need, but more importantly, those who are in front of them, both their biological parents or whoever the caring adult is or the educator, is equipped to guide and navigate them so that they're conspiring towards good as opposed to conspiring towards bad. Amazing. Uh, that was, I, it was the first time I'd seen that video. Um, Recently? And I, yeah, I, I, uh, I didn't know. I didn't see the back seat. Oh. And yeah. you know, the it hit, it hit me. Oh, it yeah. hit me totally then, different. Yeah. It can be totally different because at the time, I think I just put Hudson down. I was like, yo, what the fuck just happened? I said, this is a real thing? And then I'm looking at it and I'm like, she's telling that she's like, mommy, can you pray with me? Yeah. And just her moral fiber at the age of three is saying that she was getting taught the right way, but she's taught to live in this great amount of fear because she knows... Yeah that the world is tilted in the wrong direction. Well, we, we also can't hide from children. Like that night that I told y'all I just had a rough, a, a, rough, a rough emotional night. I like came out the room and I like, you know, got myself together and come out, came out and one of my sons was like, mommy, is everything okay? I was like, yes, yeah, son, you know, mommy just, my allergies are bothering me, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, he said, mommy, it's gonna be okay. So basically, like, lady, you're lying to me, and I know you're lying to me, so I'm just going to tell you how I feel, and it's going to be okay. I said, I appreciate that, hon. I walked into the kitchen, and then I said, you know what? I said, that little eight-year-old saw me. He deserves for me to let him know he saw what he saw. Right. And I sat him down. I said, hey, I said, you know, how'd you know mommy wasn't feeling? Well, mommy, I could tell when you're crying, and I could tell, you know. And I said, well, I appreciate you for observing me enough. To have known that, I said, and I shouldn't have told you it was my allergies. And I sat down mm. and told him all the stuff that was going on and the like what about the world was making me feel away. I told him some personal stuff. Like <laughs> I was talking to him like he was the little homie, but it's because guess what he also was? He was the first human that day that saw my emotion mm. and like asked and offered insight. 
And so I was like, that human deserves to know that he saw what he saw and he read the situation right. And let me talk to him and give him the feedback that he opened himself up to. So like kids, we discount their emotional intelligence so much. And I appreciate And you. this I appreciate generation. I appreciate you doing that, not to cut you off with your son, just because mm-hmm. that's that's the relationship I had with my mother. And and I I'm grateful on a daily basis, I'm grateful for her seeing me and my potential to think rationally as an individual and encouraging that mm-hmm. because I think I think we're, we we don't have the luxury, unfortunately, not to uh, develop that skill at an early age. Like we have to have it. Um, and I, and I want to just get back to one point, Pete, with that video um, because. The most heartbreaking thing about it, not alone, was her her innate uh, reaction to, I need to protect my mother because I need her to be here. Not so yeah. much that, but as we've been, you know, Pete, we talk about the, the therapy, you, you're in therapy, I'm in therapy, and there was a point where I, I had to address my, normal, my normalization of trauma and like seeing someone get murdered in front of me, being held up at gunpoint, just different things. I can... I would breeze over them because this is just how you you adapt to these things. But mm-hmm. she's three years old. He was shot right in front of her. The calm, the, the, the composure she has, that's what's alarming to me because yes. I'm hard pressed to, to think of a white person having their three-year-old in the back seat with them. And they, that three-year-old is able to, okay, let me compartmentalize this Thing that just happened because right now I need to worry about my mom because I need her not to get shot at three the ability to do that right. because you have all right I, I mean you have all right to be emotional like completely disturbed crying she knew Philando it's not like she didn't know him but she's like no hold up they just did that I look stay with me I need you like it that's the most heartbreaking thing about yeah. that exchange well, there's a, there's a study that shows that the children of Iraq during wartime mm-hmm. and the children within like an eight to 12 block radius in LA had similar PTSD levels. Mm. Wartime PTSD measured of the children in the two, you know, the two geographic areas of that. Oh, like when you think of a wartime, and so that's the thing, like, we're all saying, like, oh, we're at war now. We've been at war. Yeah. We've been at war, and our kids have been watching it, and our kids have been going to funerals, and our kids have been going, you know what I mean? And now here's, and let's just talk privilege here. Not our kids, meaning mine. Not Hudson. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, but there are kids who have. Just like those of you that experience stuff, like Carl was just saying, the things I know about Pete's life, like, the stuff you experienced in your childhood. Mm. Your kids won't have to experience that specific thing. Mm-hmm. But now there's this new world. Their privilege will protect them in a way on that. But now there's a new level of trauma. And here's what like science tells us. Trauma is trauma. It doesn't matter um, what it is. Trauma is trauma. And like, so we have to now with this generation, you know, figure that out. I feel like growing up as a Black person in America, um, we are deprived of our ability to fully experience innocence or at least to live through our innocence 
You understand what I'm saying? Like we develop responsibilities at ages way earlier than our white counterparts mm-hmm. or our, our financially privileged counterparts. And it's, um, I think it, I think it kind of adds to that weight that, and that, and that, and that frustration that sits on our shoulders that we walk mm-hmm. around the world with, you know what I mean? Like for people mm-hmm. that know me and people that listen to the podcast, my mom had an aneurysm and a stroke when I was nine years old on the job. Like literally they sent her home from work with the nervous breakdown less than 90 days later, she had an aneurysm and a stroke. My mom has never been granted workman's comp. You understand what I'm saying? Like, there's certain, there's certain like residual stresses that children deal with based off of the experiences that their, their parents go through. And our white counterparts are not forced to deal with these things. And it shapes the way we view the world and it fucking sucks. Yeah, I think that, but the problem here is, you know, and, and one, of the, one of the sad things we have to come to terms with is that it was never it was never intended for us to live uh, the type of like mm. we almost have to yeah. divorce we almost have to divorce the idea because the ideologies that they teach were never for us and I think that's where we end up in that issue It's like the consolation prize is like hey you you're out you're allowed to live some sort of life not not the life that we're talking about not that that mm-hmm. after five we talk about that wasn't for you you might get mm-hmm. some traps but right. the the yeah. most you can, you can ask for is to be left alone to a point. So there, there is a point where you have to come to terms with that. We, 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 we overcome in spite of. That's really what it is. We overcome in spite of. The intention is never, ever, the, 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 the threshold, the, the sight guys that they look at to say, this is where America is, it's never about our conditions. So it's yeah. unfortunate. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm very open about the, the, the therapy thing because that's the that's the only get back because we are i mean i don't know too many black people who aren't subject to multiple ptsds right do do trying to live in this country so our only way of balancing that out is to seek a professional professional help that helps us figure out what's going on up there cuz we we're, we're very good at functioning in it we function to the point that we can, you know, lie to ourselves enough to say, oh, no, I'm fine. I got a roof over my head. I'm, you know, I, I, my life is not as bad as some other people that I know. Um, but again, there, the thing that you were saying earlier, Tara, about the, the, the assimilating to white people, I think, I think there is, a, there is a, a fairy tale in that that is part of our 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 constant uh, wound that keeps opening up. We keep buying into it. You know, things get kind of like cool for a second. We get a little credit. We can go buy a little house. We can get into a neighborhood. No one's called me a nigga in a, in a, in a, in a year or two. Okay. In a year? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, hey, listen. It's, it's If somebody hasn't blatantly called you with the, with the ER at the end, you're like, right. hey, you know what? Life is... It's pretty good. Maybe I can dream about that, that, that getting to that level again. And then we're sadly reminded what mm-hmm. the deal is. So I think that that's something that, you know, you're going to, I came to terms with it. I, I, it's, I've divorced any ideology that um, I can live in a space where I have 
the life that's similar to theirs. I have to, we have to construct our own. We have to figure out what, uh, you know, that, 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 what's that, that, uh, the moving on, I'm trying to go back to the moving on up, uh, analogy, you know, that, uh, slice of the pie was that we finally got a piece of the pie. We have to figure out what our piece of the pie looks like because it, it can't resemble anything close to our oppressors. It just, it can't, we're, we're falling within their design, which is why we're constantly heartbroken constantly because the design has nothing to do with black people. So we have to figure out what our structure of success, of thriving, of protecting ourselves, of creating our economy and sustaining ourselves. It has to be, like you said, we have to be better about being tactful and, and, and strategic and figuring what that out. But we definitely have to divorce whatever the ideals of white America are for being successful and thriving in this country because it's not for us. Mm. Yeah, that was um, that was great. Wow, Jesus Christ! I feel like we covered a lot. I feel like we covered a lot in this in this in this episode. This is like I a part like... one, two, and three, and probably just needs to be a YouTube all the way because I don't know. Edit this out. I'm looking at it right now. We've definitely um just reached past the um two hour two and a half hour mark. Ooh, it's real and, talk. Um, That's real talk. I everything was needed. All, yeah, it's all it's all super important conversation, um, that that needs to be had. It, even if even if people are not engaging in the conversation, just listening to the thoughts and the the different factoids that were shared in this um in this platform on this platform. So I want to thank you, uh, Matera and Byron, for joining us this no evening. Um, this this is by far one of my most favorite episodes. Um, Outside of the fact that it comes to such tragedy on, um, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, in, in the wake of such tragedy, but I feel like we are sharing yeah. super valuable information and um, like resources for our, for our listeners. Yeah. Do you guys have anything you would like to say to our to our audience before we like sign off for the evening? Plug. I mean, I would. Oh, sorry. No, no I'm saying you can plug. Do your plugs. Plug. Plug yourself. You know. Oh, well, yeah. it was actually something, a non-plug, but I'll put a plug yeah. in. But all the right. non-plug was, um, we really all just need to allow our emotions to move and flow. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're trained to hold and restrict and suppress. And if there's anything we can do right now, like, let it flow. Like, show your vulnerability to your mate or your spouse, your best friend, whoever, your boo thing that she's quarantining with. Like, I don't care who it is. Like, find yourself okay with sharing your yeah. emotions and if we got to wear enough masks outside in the space if there's no one in your circle of three to five that you could legit cry on a shoulder we use that language all the time like oh if I'm, I'm there for you if you need to no like we're in a season now where we all need to be crying on some shoulders yeah. and so if you don't have a shoulder then you have to figure out what that looks like too right if it may not because we are still in corona quarantine it may not be a physical shoulder but maybe that means you're FaceTiming with a certain person more often to show your emotion. There is something that happens when two humans show emotion yeah. and it doesn't, and it can come through the screen too. So don't, don't minimize that. And um, yeah, everybody check out my audio book on, you know, the mask that we wear and how we can unmask ourselves during this time and go to ourmasks.com. O-U-R-M-A-S-K-S. And Instagram, dr underscore a T C. See you there. 
Hey, Byron, let's go. Roll it out. Let's do it. And I just say thanks for having me on without question. Conversations like these are necessary. We know that it's an ongoing dialogue and discussion. As you can tell, my passion is for my brothers and my sisters, but it's really for the babies also. Uh, Probably Mm -hmm. first and foremost, because young people need to understand the world that they live in. And we need to give them the tools, resources, and guidance to let them know that we're building a better world with them in mind. I've got a a great nephew who was born six months ago and to know that he is living and born in the midst of a pandemic and the largest civil unrest since the 60s just boggles my mind. But what I know is conversations like these and this dialogue and the protests and the riots and the marching, the looting, all of it is for a purpose that's gonna create and build a better world so that he and his classmates will be able to navigate. If you're trying to find me, um, I've got a series of books, but I'll call your attention to two. Uh, One of them is called Motivated for Greatness, which provides you actual steps and strategies to figure out how do you stay motivated and inspired in the midst of all of this. And then the second one is called When Life Gives You Lemons, How Do You Turn Adversity, Doubt, and Failures into Fuel for Success? And you can find those on Amazon and also on ByronGarrett.com. And if you're looking for me on social media, it's Byron V for Valdicio Garrett. So B-Y-R-O-N. B-G-A-R-R-E-T-T. You'll catch me on Instagram, Twitter, and everything else. Hold on one second. Can I tell you something? Yeah. I say the middle name. I love when you, when you, when you, when you started When you started in this conversation, I didn't know this was my thought, but I looked at you and said, damn, he looked like a Valdicio. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, since I've got a clothing line, and if you visit <laughs> You can find those. We do custom masks that are double-sided, reversible cloth masks, washable, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, Valdicio is my clothing collection. Uh, right now, we've had to pivot and only focus on PPE stuff, so we only right. produce masks at the Valdicio moment. Valdicio PPE. But yeah, you can find, get it. find us online. I have a question Beautiful. for you, Byron. Are you going home to D.C. to get a little taste of that riot? I won't go home until Friday. Believe no, it or not, Seattle has its own level of protest. No, We're under uh, mandatory curfew. I landed on Sunday. Not knowing, because I'm thinking, oh, it's Seattle. They have issues, but not like everywhere else. And I landed, <laughs> and like, I got to the house, and I was like, wait, I got a text. I got the same text you all probably got a little bit ago. And mine said, oh, everything is shut down at 5 o'clock. I'm like, I haven't been here in 90 days. I have no grocery, no snack. Oh, man. <laughs> so I'm like, I literally have from 4.37 to 5 o'clock to make the rounds. I dropped everything and ran out the house. So, so I, you say to get a taste of it. I actually got a taste of it here, being locked down for a couple of days. But I'll be back in D.C. on Friday, and I'm sure things are not going to subside between now and then. All right. No. Quick question: What's your first stop? What's What's the first thing you're going to get to eat when you get to D.C.? I just gotta I just gotta check. Oh, I'm just going back in my kitchen. I've been cooking, so I, okay. right now I don't okay. have my ingredients to make it's a COVID, Joe. It's, it's a whole COVID outside. Joe. COVID right. ain't like, stopping mumble really wings, man. <laughs> COVID is not stopping mumble wings, man. <laughs> yeah, now, nah, but um, thank you all for joining us. Um, I, I think it's I think it's only right that the homies um, leave, leave our listeners with a with a little word before we wrap it up. So, Carl, why don't you start off? Um, well, first, I'm I'm going to um, you know. I don't know. There's a, so so Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, Between the World and Me, is one of those uh, those books I've been having more conversations with. Um, I've seen more and more people uh, pick up. It's it's just I, I would just like to put it in the the chat here because if you haven't read it, I think 
I think it's important to read because I think the the, the his uh, Tanasi's ability to, to articulate um, what that experience is, and, and I've been saying the same thing for some of my white friends who aren't quite sure what it is like to be black in this country and grow up with a country that um, has shown that it doesn't love us. It loves our culture, but it doesn't love us. Um, so that's just uh, something I wanted to leave in here, just as just more information and reinforcement of, of just, I don't know, um, I'm trying to find the words for it. But, um, you know, uh, what I would like to say is just, I think it's very important that we keep in mind that we do have to take these moments, these breaks. Um, there's, a, there's an interesting balance in gaining the information that we need to know what's going on, because like you said, it is the biggest civil unrest that I mean, of my generation, I don't, I don't know of any other time that, you know, that's happened. Um, so there is, a, there is a need to be informed on what's going on, but as somebody that is in therapy and that is, that is very present in how the emotions are, are flowing, it is important for us to, to find a balance where we can you know, preserve our emotions, our mental state, because we are going to be needed whatever the outcomes are with this, we're gonna be needed. We're gonna be needed to be in a certain space so that we can be resources for our community uh, to move forward. So um, I'm, I'm grateful for tonight. I'm grateful for everybody that's here. This was extremely therapeutic. Uh, and I look forward to continuing these conversations. No. Um, I, I, I love this conversation. It definitely made me realize that, you know, um, Terry, you know, making me realize that, you know, I need, we need self-care, you know, we need a balance. We also need to like figure things out. Um, we also need to figure out how we can contribute to this thing. Not everybody's going to be on the front lines, but you know, if you can have, if you have some type of influence, you know, you can, you know, you could be creative, you can be on the front lines, you could be someone to just pass information, you can bring, you can bring people in. I think we just all need to figure out a way to organize because right now it seems like we're pretty unorganized and that's that's not a thing that we need to we need to like you know like you said study what china and all these other people are doing because they are doing it well and they've been doing it for a long time we're we're fairly new to this in this day and age um and we need to like kind of take um notes from them so we can like this is gonna be a long run like this, it's just started it's only been like seven days so um and it's not it's definitely not gonna be the last time so this was an um, amazing chat and um, yeah, just stay safe, everybody. Petey? Um, right now, uh, I have been spending a good part of the day talking to friends that, again, are like, op operating in the public space and trying to get their opinion because last night was a bit testy for me when I got to work. I uh, get to 52nd and and ninth and then they let me drive into 52nd Nate to make my left i work on 53rd street the minute i turn the corner i see cars moving protesters in front of them and tear gas they can't even see the street i had to turn the vent off in my truck because the tear gas was about to come into the vehicle and as i get closer to the corner i see probably about 15 guys in navy blue beating the daylights out of somebody can't even see the victim and it didn't really jar me, but it was a start to a very, very tumultuous night. 
I get to work. I had already decided that I'm choosing my life over anything and decided that I'm removing myself from whatever my duties are tonight at transit. I checked in. I went home where it was safe. And even getting home, this, I'm just, I'm painting this whole illustration, just getting home. Police checking me. Um, constant sirens. Almost got ran over by two cop cars. Helicopters. All night sirens. I turned on my laptop and started DJing from three to four in the morning just to clear my head because the sounds of New York were, were stressing me and then couldn't go to sleep for another half an hour after that. So I didn't really close my eyes till about 4.30. It took like a three hour nap. Um, and I couldn't get my thoughts together today. I, I, I'm sure Melissa saw me and was like looking at me, but I was a bit hollowed out. Like there was a couple of times she had to like say something to me twice. And I was like, oh, I forgot. Cause I just have been off. Um, I've been reading right. this book here. Um, and I just put the ISBN. Um, Black Labor, White Wealth, The Search for Power and Economic Justice by Claude Anderson, who also wrote Poweronomics. And this is what kind of has me in my bag about um, this culture and the mindset of the, how much we love possessions and how much our, how much Black people are not worth. Um, and not losing sight of that, because if we actually had value, I don't think the world would treat us the way that they did, but our our government and the way of thinking from when we got here, you, you gotta look at it like this, the bottom of the barrel Europeans that weren't getting treated right, left Europe to come here to start their own thing because they were bottom of the barrel. Then obviously they didn't want to be bottom of the barrel, they wanted to be kings because they weren't getting treated fairly by the king of England. So what did they do? They brought black folks and said, okay, now you're our slaves and we're no longer the bottom of the barrel. And this just continues to keep manifesting itself. So, yeah. That's where I'm at. Um, and just still, I gotta go back into work tonight and probably see the same thing. Hopefully the streets are clear because the, the curfew is at eight o'clock. Uh, um, I'm on Twitter now and they are wilding in New York. They're wilding out right now. So they I'm, I'm going into the place. Um, they just talked about the place. Um, Starbucks. I am repeating the same thing. I'm going to work. I'm checking in, making all my necessary calls, choosing life. I will be in the refuge of my home unless there is an emergency that happens in the Bronx. That's Otherwise, so I'm not because it ain't it ain't worth my life. It ain't worth my life. No. Yeah. I don't know if you guys so, can hear it right now, but um. They're literally cop cars zooming past my building Bruh. right now. Um, I don't even know what to leave my car, bro. I can't even lie. I'm right. afraid that my car's going to get burned up because I have to park near the train stations next to NYPD vehicles. Right. Yeah. Bro. So me personally, I am finding solace in, back to what Latira was saying, um, meditative pr practices, right? Um, some mornings I can wake up, I can make my cup of coffee and I can, I have enough peace between Riv and the dog sleeping and I, up early enough that the, that the actual construction across the street is not jackhammering. And I can actually sit down and give myself five to 10 minutes of absolute peace and quiet to try to achieve stillness. But another way that I've been achieving stillness in the moment is taking my walks on my, taking my walks with my dog or when I go for my bike rides, carrying my film camera with me and 
allowing the practice of capturing, allowing the practice of capturing uh, portraits with my film camera to allow me to achieve that, that moment of stillness. Outside of mm-hmm. that, I've just been reading, right? I know that one of the biggest weapons in overcoming the current situation, whether it's going to be now, whether it's going to be 10 years from now, whether it's going to be 40 years from now, is going to lie in like financial, so like strong strongholds, shall I say, or financial strongholds as a community. And I feel like educating ourselves, damn, this background is giving me the blues. Yep. You got to hold it in front of you. You got to hold it in front of you. Educate, educate myself yeah, is going to be super go. important. So one of the books that I'm recommending for people to read is The Instant Millionaire. The Instant Millionaire is an amazing book. Um, another amazing book in the same vein is going to be The um, Richest Man in Babylon. And then another book that I'm reading in the moment when I need to, when I just need a constant reminder that this isn't how things, that this is how things have been for the longest is um, Ralph, Ralph Emerson's, um, Ralph Ellison, sorry, The Invisible Man. Oh, yeah. Um, Finding a way to ground myself in reality while understanding the need to take temporary breaks throughout the course of the day just to like quiet down the noise and process everything that's happening and figure out the right way to react not react the right way to respond is it has been a saving grace and i feel like if we as a community took more time to understand and put emphasis on the importance of responding versus reacting the strength in numbers and the like and the like-mindedness of the community would be enough to make waves so i, I promote it uh, across across the board to any and everyone i come across like if there's ever a situation where you feel that you need to react take an extra 30 seconds to just think about what your reaction might be and turn it into a response because reactions typically don't have any like thought to them they're always mostly based off of emotion mm-hmm. but yeah that's 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 what i'll say and please be safe people um safety I do, I, like i like 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 everyone's been saying this evening not everyone's gonna be out on the front lines protesting is not made for everybody i do recommend it um if you're afraid of ending up in a more violent protest i recommend that you go protest earlier in the day um, pay attention to who is um, organizing these protests and make sure that the people recommending it are people that you know. Don't go by yourself either. Um, if you see things starting to get out of line, back up out. Yeah. But I feel like not experiencing, like, like, no, I feel like experiencing the actual passion and the energy in the moment of the protest will give you more of an incentive to look for solutions to the problem or it's gonna make you mad as hell but either or i feel like (laughs) i feel like those are things that people need to experience in this moment i'm gonna say goodbye first because it's almost 10 o'clock and i have to go to the city and i also Mm -hmm. have a nine month old boss so um again i appreciate all of this conversation as I prepare to go into what has already been defined as a war zone by my friends. Um, I love you all. And um, this is your neighborhood dad, Pete, signing off. All right. Yeah. This is.
This is African Ash Joe. This is um, Harlem Rome. And this is Bronx Carl. Akira Peace. and Byron. Let's 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 hear let's hear a cool uh, your family funny, now. Good, funny name. Come on, B, aka Speaker for Life. Hey. Okay. Hey. It's just a tear, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> with the with the draw, y'all. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thanks for tuning in, to Man Crush Monday's podcast. Be safe, be vigilant, and stand for the right thing. We out. Yep. Peace. Thank y'all for joining right, y'all. Seriously, thanks for taking the time. Peace out. Find your joy. Yeah. Right, Appreciate you guys.